the only things, the only ones that really bug me are the people I really know. Like if I know that guy, like you've been to my house, right? Mm-hmm. And I know your kids. Okay, and now we're having this. Well, it sounds like a threat, Keith. (laughs) (laughs) Not even you. So Jeff, you got a this is this is what an awesome teacher looks like shirt on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Obviously you you're borrowing that. Um. <coughs> I'm going to let you sit with that one, Scott. <laughs> I'm okay with what I said. Does is he have he has recording? Oh, okay. On. It oh. is recording. We're rolling now. It is recording. So what do you it think about the t-shirt? It's recording. It's a cool shirt. That's oh, a very cool shirt. <laughs> Is there a story behind the shirt? It's a simple story. So I finished the school year this past week, and uh, maybe about a week and a half ago, a student catches me before the bell and says, uh, I I got this T-shirt for you, and he pulls it out of his bag, and he opens it. He's showing it to me, and I'm like, that's amazing. I Uh, love that. I just threw it right on over (laughs) my my dress shirt. That's awesome, man. Cool. And then I had to go around the rest of the day saying, Oh, I, d- I didn't buy this myself. Right, right. I didn't, I didn't buy the like, T-shirt. It's not like Michael on The Office where it says world's, world's <laughs> right, greatest boss. Yeah, right. I bought this. I bought this. <laughs> so boss, man. Oh, that's cool. But I did wear it proudly today. We had our first day of work for the new year. And I'm like, I'm wearing this. I'm wearing this. And then I ended up going somewhere, a store, or something like that, and just walked around, pushed my chest out. Yeah. Anybody see this? <laughs> you right see here. That? Right here. Look at that. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, so guys, Scott, I've I've got some bad news. You got a. You're living out. You've left your truck, and you're now going to have a real house. Wow, Jeff, way to ruin it. You're just such a jerk. Is it true? <laughs> Your kids don't know how much of a jerk you are, do they? <laughs> Unless they would have got you that shirt. So that's true? Yeah, yes. that's true. Yes. All right. That's perfect. So, so Keith, uh, Scott has been homeless for a little while, living out of his truck oh, intentionally. Man. Okay. Sold his apartment. Wow. We still don't know entirely why. There's a little hints here and there. Every once in a while, he'll stay over at his pastor's house. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently you rent, rented a room or rented a whole apartment? Yeah, a room. Nice. Wow. Yeah. And how, how long were you doing that? How long was that? It was October till uh, yesterday. Wow. So nine months? What is that? Eight, 
nine months, something yeah. like that. That was good. Give or take. That was a, that was a long well, time. I, I might have to get some pointers from you because I've been out of work since April 2nd. Oh, really? Yeah, and I'm looking for a full-time job. So I'm hoping I don't have to live in my vehicle, but I might. We'll see how. So far, we're good. I, I'm going to pay rent this month. <laughs> thank God. So that's covered in most major bills. But but beyond that, I honestly don't know, which is a really scary thing. It's kind of scary, but I've been through stuff like this before. Like I was out of work for a year and a half once, uh, and then then a few then about eleven years ago, I was out of work for a year. And so I'm hoping my, my, when this first happened. Uh, my first prayer, I'm not kidding, my, my honest first prayer after this, when I when I got uh, laid off in April, was, God, I just hope you're not going to try to teach me something. <laughs> like, <laughs> please don't try to teach me something. I, I feel like I've learned so many great lessons before, and maybe there's another way to teach me like, a wonderful lesson without being out of work for a year or more. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> doing it alone is... A little easier, um, mm. you know. You, if yes. you have a wife. And that's the truth. Kids or yeah, I have a wife and two boys. Yeah, that's no, they're in college, I, but you know, oh, they're yeah. still living at home. So yeah, I, I got to find out. Uh, I have to find homes for them before I can decide what I'm doing. Yeah, so. that'd be maybe a lot. Obviously, a lot tougher than yeah. You know. Keith Giles, um, I first heard you on Phil Vischer's podcast. I think a while ago. This was, I think... John Fisher. No, the VeggieTales guy. Oh, I, no, no. I wasn't you weren't on there? I was on Preston Sprinkle. Maybe that's what it was. Preston Sprinkle. It was on a podcast, and you were talking about your... Is that your first book, Jesus... Jesus Untangled. Untangled. Yeah. It's actually my first book with a publisher, but it's actually... It's technically my seventh book. I, I self-published wow. yeah, six other books that no one has ever heard of because <laughs> I self-published them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, my first one with choir. Yeah, last uh, came out January twentieth last year. Yeah, nice. And then I heard when somebody somebody pointed me in the direction of your current podcast, Heretic Happy Hour. It's uh, one of the other great alliterative named <laughs> podcasts. Yeah. Uh, but then I'm like, oh, I have voice I recognize him, and it was funny putting those pieces together, and then going to your live taping, and yeah, uh, meet, getting to meet you guys, and then now. You're, you come to a stranger's house or yeah. sort of a stranger, drive down from Orange. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. I don't feel like you're strangers. I mean, you guys were at the we live recording. Once, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I met you guys there. Thank you guys for coming out. That was that was our first live podcast recording. Yeah, that <clears> was fun. That was a blast. That was so much fun. Yeah, I, I probably apologize a little bit for <laughs> maybe talking too much. So. You were intense, yeah. man. I got to say, I'm going to give you that much. You, Scott, no. He was... Never. you. You uh, asked some really good long questions, but good questions, and that was they great. felt more like statements to me. I think the first one was a bit of a statement, and then it became a question. Okay, and then yeah, but that's okay. It, that's that's what it's all about. You know what I mean? You just have people come and talk and share and stuff. So that was that was good. It was good. All right. Yeah, I was I was glad to be a part of it. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. So yeah, if you find it's that first live one. Uh, the hell episode Yeah I think it was about hell I think it's a two parter On the second part Is the Q&A You get to hear Scott Ask some questions That's right And as well as Hear him yell heretic A few times <laughs> Oh my gosh When no one else was That's right. Yeah <laughs> well, it's, it's funny the things People will yell, yell heretic about And things they won't Like I just did this event Up in Seattle uh, And the whole point Of the event Was to have three different speakers 
uh, present three different topics on this topic of Jesus, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit, right? And we all knew going in, the three of us, the three speakers, we all three went, you know, going into it new, we didn't, we're not on the same page, right? We had different views. And the point was also to be, like all the talk before this was, uh, we're going to model what it looks like to disagree agreeably and love one another and respect one another, even though we don't share the same views. So the first guy got up, and he's a good friend of mine, and he shared, and it was great, didn't disagree with anything he said. I got up, of course, and did my talk, which was kind of about my new book, Jesus Unbound, and oh my gosh, <laughs> the explosion. And it was mostly my friend who was the first guy. Oh uh, my gosh, he just was like, you know, drilling into me. Thank God my friend Chuck McKnight was there, and he was like, he gave me, he would tag in a couple of times and give me a breather. And like, <laughs> you know, like he would like take, a, take an answer or make a comment, and I'd be like, <sighs> I got this one, Keith. So, but so anyway, here's my point about the things that people will yell heresy about and not. So anyway, all this heat on me for what I'm saying, right? And then the third guy got up, and his talk was essentially a complete denial of the Trinity. Nobody blinked an eye. Wow. And Chuck and I look at each other like, "What the heck? That, that didn't get anything. That guy gets he gets a pass. <laughs> that guy gets to skate by. Like, come on. Like, oh my gosh. So yeah, you know, you never know the things that people are gonna." freak out about everyone's got their own little pet thing you know yeah. so everybody is somebody else's heretic that's right that's what we say everyone is somebody I should make a t-shirt everyone is somebody's heretic <laughs> All right. you're my heretic <laughs> who are you looking at oh, you want the shirt to say I that. want the shirt okay. to say that you looked right at Jeff though. you're my heretic you're, you're my heretic you're my heretic right there possessive you go. or I'm your heretic maybe on the back on I'm, the back I'm it says your I'm your heretic <laughs> and on the front it says you're my heretic Nice. Like it. All right. So what, uh, how did you grow up? What was your, uh, did you have a fate? Like what, take us to the very beginning. Yeah. When you were born, what were you born into? Uh, wow. Boy, we're going way back. Yeah. So I was, I was born in Brownsville, Tennessee, little tiny town in Tennessee. I'm an only child and my parents were not Christians. And, um, I never went to church. I did. I think I went to church one time. So I had a friend who lived across the street, um, and his dad was, I think, sort of an associate pastor or a maybe like a, you know what I mean? Like he would like pinch hit once in a while if mm-hmm. the main pastor of the church wasn't there, uh, uh, kind of a thing. And I think I anyway. I remember visiting. I went one time, maybe first grade. Uh, so, but beyond that, I had no. I didn't know. No, nothing connected, no church experience, didn't grow up in church. But the odd thing is, this is going to sound weird, but I always talked to God. You know what I mean? Like I always felt like there was a God. And I remember laying in bed talking to God. I don't even, I guess. Is that like intuitive? Like you just kind of felt it? Well, yeah. It's kind of hard to go back and say like, did my parents, maybe my parents, my parents probably like used to say prayers with me before I went to bed. Maybe something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And now I lay me down to sleep kind of stuff. Again, they weren't Christians. We didn't go to church or anything. But it, I must have gotten some idea somewhere that there was a God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can remember still living in Tennessee, and I know it had to be at least first grade because we, we moved we moved from Tennessee when I was just starting second grade. So no no older than second grade. I remember standing in the house in Tennessee and asking my mom all these questions about God. Uh, who is God? And she didn't know. And um, what happens to us when we die? And she says, well good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And I said, well, how do we know where we're going to go? And she said, I don't know. And I remember bursting into tears in the kitchen. I'm just like, 
first of all, I couldn't believe my mom didn't know. Like, parents are supposed to know these things. And she couldn't believe you're only seven years old asking. These yeah, and I'm asking her these <laughs> theological questions, and she's like, I don't know. Um, but it just, it bothered me so much. Like, well, we have to find out. You know what I mean? It was just like this, well, we got to know. Um, and so the, the, probably the most significant thing that happened in my early life uh, was a li- around about that time, my mom and dad got a divorce. And uh, I remember my dad moving out. He was living in a, an apartment, and so I would go hang out with him on the weekends. And we, I remember we watched uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or something with like Kirk Douglas. I remember sitting and watching that with him on TV. It's a strange, odd uh, detail. Yeah. But I remember that. And um, I remember being upset that my dad and mom, why, why weren't they together? I didn't understand what was going on. Um, but then all of a sudden, and from my perspective, all of a sudden uh, they were back together and we moved to Texas. Um, but right before that, I was, I remember laying in the bed at my, uh, there was a woman that would babysit me and she gave me a nap basically just to get me out of her hair. She put me in her bedroom and locked the door for an hour and take a nap. Quote, gave you a nap. Gave me a nap, right. <laughs> so I remember laying in bed and I'm, and I'm talking to God like I did again, never, only went to church once, uh, and, and, and all these questions about God, but I just felt like God was real. And I remember telling God if you get my mom and dad back together, God, I will be a preacher. And I guess I, that must have been after I went to church because I knew the guy up there was the preacher. Why I made this bargain with God or deal with God, I don't know. I don't even know what I had any concept of what I was saying. You felt like you were offering a lot, though, maybe. But like, come on, God, I'll like, speak for you. Yeah, again, I just thought maybe this is something he would want for me, so I'll, I'll give him what I think he wants for me and if he'll do this for me. Anyway, my mom and dad got back together. So I found out years later what happened was uh, the judge actually did grant them a divorce, but had put a clause in the divorce that said if they on their own reconciled within 30 days, uh, the divorce would be null and void. So then in other words, they could basically call and say, never mind. Mm. And I don't know what happened. They somehow decided, you know what, the, the big... The big stressor in their marriage were, was basically their family. Uh, there was just too much. It's the whole thing of like, you know, uh, a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So it was sort of like, you know, we need to do that. So they, uh, that's why my dad took a transfer. We moved to Texas. And I guess that solved everything because they're still together to this day. Interesting. Um, but again, we just, we weren't, still weren't Christians. But I guess my mom and dad felt like we needed to find a church home. We almost became Mormons. Uh, that was, that was, we, the Mormons, these two guys knocked on the door, young guys, you know, started talking to us and, and we even went as far as, uh, we visited a Mormon church. We had this thing called family home evening that they do, which is like the, uh, once a week the family gets together and each person of the family sort of does a different little skit or presents something and it's this weird thing that they do. So we were pretty close, man. We almost became Mormons. Wow. Um, the... Again, just God intervened. I remember sitting there one night in our in our house. These these two Mormon kids, you know, these two guys, uh, missionaries, had been coming to our house and talking to us once a week. And uh, they were showing us some kind of a movie, and it might have been that weird. Have you ever seen that weird animated film that's kind of this weird story about the Mormon version of? Yeah, Joseph Smith found the plates and. Yeah, <laughs> it was something like that. I don't remember exactly. I remember it was a cartoon. It was something weird, but you know, what was going on? Oh, I saw the South Park version. Okay, but there's a real <laughs> video, and so they must have been playing that video. Anyway, all I know, all I remember is that we're you know I'm just a kid, you know, again like second grade something like that. Yeah. 
and uh, lights are off, popcorn in my lap, we're watching this movie, cool, they set up this little projector in my living room, we're watching this video, and all of a sudden, man, my dad stands up, flicks on the light, unplugs the projector, and says, I don't know what you guys are talking about, that's not the God I believe in, get out of my house. Nice. And I'm like, I'm upset, like, Dad, why are you being such a jerk? So, but now I reflect back, and I feel like it was like the Holy Spirit, something gave my dad a check in his spirit, and he just said... This isn't it. Yeah, before he was able to pray, God, who these is Joseph Smith the prophet. Yeah. But we were close. I mean, we were we were moving in, man. We were we had visited a Mormon church. He didn't there were no red flags for him at that service and we were doing this going through this stuff and Was there awesome music at the service? Do they play oh, oceans? No, it was bad. This dude, you're talking we're talking seventies, man. There was or, organs and piano music, right? It was horrible. Um no, but so that was a significant thing. So had that not happened, I probably would have, who knows, I would have grown up Mormon. Um, but we still didn't know what we were going to do. And then we ended up at a Methodist church and for a while. That didn't go very well. Um, somehow, anyway, we ended up at this uh, Lighthouse Free Will Baptist Church. And uh, this guy named Vance Link was a pastor from South Carolina. Not a Calvinist. No, probably not. I guess it was free will, right? Yeah. See, again, I never connected these dots as a kid. I'm just like, whatever. Hey, Lighthouse free will, will Baptist will Church. In God, according to his sovereign decree. Yeah. I always like, uh, yeah, thank you for that <laughs> nuance there. I always like the church name. You can kind of get a hint. Yeah. Like there's down the street, there's a church of the master. Mm. And they're definitely, uh, it's definitely Presbyterian reformed. Yep. But anyways, mm-hmm. carry on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. You can tell those kind of things. I always loved like the, uh, you know, there's always the first Baptist church, but then like there's even some second Baptist churches. Like I, that's always like, why would you even do that? That's where the, why is <laughs> there no third, fourth, for the fifth? sequel. <laughs> yeah, I never understood that. So yeah, anyway, uh, one, of, one of the coolest memories that I have is, um, you know, we were going to this, this Lighthouse Free Will Baptist Church and... Again, I had always felt connected to God. And anyway, I think I think all of a sudden this preacher was answering all the questions I was asking my mom a couple of years ago back in the in in my kitchen. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden it was it was connecting, it was making sense to me. Like, oh yeah. Oh, okay, that's that's who God is. And okay, that's who Jesus is. And okay, this is what heaven is. And this is how we know, you know, who's going to heaven or hell or okay. okay. And it just made sense to me. And uh, he gave the invitation, right, as you do. Uh, and everyone stands up and he, 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 the music plays and he says, you know, come forward if you would like to receive, you know, Jesus as your Lord and savior. And man, I could not move. I wanted to, but it was like someone had nailed my feet to the ground, man. And I could not move. And so then it's over the final verse of just as I am plays and, um, and it's over. Right. And so the pastor prays, you know, thanks for coming and, and, uh, it's over and everyone's getting their stuff, and I, and, I, and I grab my dad by the hand, and I say, Dad, can you go up and tell the pastor that I wanted to go up there, but I couldn't? Mm-hmm. And, man, i got to give my dad props. This is one of the most powerful things my dad ever has ever done. In that moment, my dad looked at me, and my dad said, No, I won't. He said, But I'll walk up there with you, and you can tell him. And the fact that my father had the presence of mind of knowing that I needed to be the one Mm -hmm. to say the words, that it wasn't enough for him to do it for me. Like, no, I cannot do that for you, but I'll be, I'll stand beside you. I'll be there with you and you can do it. So we we did. He walked up, walked up with me and, you know, I got the pastor's attention, told him, pray the prayer, the whole thing. And, and my, and so then 
I think that was like the dominoes because after I did that, then my dad and my mom also gave their heart to the Lord and we were all three baptized together. Uh, so that's another beautiful memory I have that the three of us were baptized together. So yeah, that was kind of how it got started. Um, I didn't think very much for a long time about that promise that I made God, like <laughs> that I would be a pastor or something or a preacher or something. Uh, it didn't come up until a little bit later, but yeah, that's kind of how I, how I started off. Yeah. Cool. It's a cool story. And did you become a preacher? Yeah, I did. Um, so when, when I first got saved, again, I got really, I was very passionate. I would tell everybody about Jesus. I was a little evangelist and, um, we went home to Tennessee to, to visit some family uh, right after that, like the next summer after that. And I remember my cousin Jim, he was a little bit younger than me. Gosh, he was such a jerk. And he was sitting, <laughs> we were on my grandmother's porch swing. She had one of these little awesome, big, mm-hmm. long porch swings. And, we're on the, and I'm trying to tell him about Jesus. And, and he's just like mocking everything I say. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I'll pray the prayer. Yeah, Gabriel. He's just like <laughs> being such a dick. And, <laughs> and I'm get, I get so mad at him. I slapped the crap out of him. And I slapped him so hard that my mom and dad, everybody is in the house, right? And they heard this snap. They heard this pow of me hit my hand hitting his face. And then like a moment of silence. And then my cousin Jim just screaming. And when he ran into the house, the imprint of my hand was on his cheek. Like I Damn slapped it. him so freaking hard. You should have been like, get out, Satan. <laughs> And smack. So my first evangelistic effort wasn't very uh, productive. Uh, I later on I did we, more old school variety. Yeah, later on I, I smoothed it over a little bit, and uh, he and I, you know, we worked all that out. But yeah, but then, um, so yeah, then we moved to El Paso, Texas, when I was in junior high. So I lived there uh, and stayed there all the way through high school and college. Went to El Paso, met my wife got involved in the Baptist Student Union, which was on campus there, which was an amazing experience. I still have great friends from those days in college through the Baptist Student Union, people that I met there. And all those guys were just like, it was huge for me. Like, they weren't just my friends. They were people that spiritually were catalysts. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I wanted wanted to love Jesus as much as these guys Mm -hmm. did. And we all kind of like encouraged each other and fanned each other into flame. And like I said, we're still in touch with each other. And I think all, almost all of us are still involved in ministry in some capacity. And so right around the time I got married, this is like 28 years ago, um, the same year I got married, um, I was licensed and ordained uh, by the Southern Baptist Church, the, the home church I was at there in El Paso. And so, yes, I became a pastor. Um, and then did the, I've done everything. Youth pastor, music minister, children's pastor, associate pastor, uh, compassion ministries pastor, um, what else is there? Everything except senior pastor. Mm. So I basically filled a role on staff at different churches. So uh, I have something to work for then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you wanted, I suppose. Well, it was really a, yeah, it was more of a career path. <clears throat> but even, even then, I always had one foot in the church and one foot sort of in the workforce, right? So... I graduated from college with an English degree and creative writing and a minor in philosophy. Uh, I've always been a writer, so I used to write. Uh, I was really into Christian music. We were talking before we hit record downstairs that uh, I was in Christian music for a long time. Uh, I had a band for a long time, and then I was then I worked for a Christian music distribution company that brought me out to California. Band name? Oh, my band's name? Yeah. Elysian Skies. 
Elysian Skies. Elysian Skies. We actually recorded an album at the Green Room in Huntington Beach. Uh, Gene Eugene, the amazing Gene Eugene, mixed our record, right? Well, I think it was the record, one of the records before he died, so one of the last records he mixed. Uh, Andy Prickett from the Prayer Chain played guitar and engineered, uh, played guitar on one of the songs, engineered the record. My friend JJ from Sixpence Another Richer produced it, played bass on a couple of tracks. Uh, yeah, it was just an amazing experience. Nice. Really cool. So, um, but yeah, then, um, yeah, worked at different Christian music companies, did sales and things like that. Um, and then, so yeah, I've always either been on staff at a church or working in sales and I got into doing marketing, uh, worked for Soul Survivor USA for a while as a marketing coordinator for them. And then for the last 10 years, I've been, um, doing advertising, marketing, copywriting just as a job. So you're still a passionate man. I'm looking at your note. You got notes. Yeah. This just makes me look smart. I probably won't even read this. Well, it's working. <laughs> also, your Bible, it looks like your Bible uh, is an original manuscript. Yeah, or this, was, close this belonged to, to Paul. <laughs> I got to say, I, this is the thing. Like That is unbelievable. I bought this. You need to hold that when we take a picture at the end. Okay. I need to get a picture of that. Well, I bought this back in El Paso. I used to work at the Baptist bookstore when I was going to college. Folks, it is duct taped oh, together. Because yeah. I can't get rid of it, man. People have bought me. I have newer Bibles. People have seen this Bible. Pity Bibles. Pity Bibles, yes. And they've been like, like I did a Bible study for these guys a couple of years ago, and they all pitched in at the end of it and bought me this brand new leather bound with my name on it, ESV study Bible. And it's a great Bible. You're it like, really ugh, is. ESV. Yeah, I know. I'm not a huge fan of the translation, but <laughs> but it's it looks way better than this. Okay? He's more of a living Bible guy. <laughs> Well, I, but I'm like, I can't get rid of this thing, man. You know, like I know where everything is in this Bible. And, um, and I got to say though, too, it's an, this is, this, what this is, is an NIV, which again is not the greatest, uh, translation, but it's an NIV disciple study Bible from Holman. And it is, I want to go on a record and say, this is one of the worst study Bibles ever made. <laughs> and this is what makes it such a great study Bible. Because I promise you, if you're reading a passage in this Bible and you come to a difficult passage and, and it's got all kinds of notes in it, right? It's got all these, you know, notes at the bottom and references and stuff. So I promise you, you'll be reading along, you read a difficult passage. Oh, what does that mean? That's confusing. And you jump down and I promise you the notes will cover the verses directly above that one and the verses directly below that one. Yeah. And they will completely ignore the one thing you don't understand. Right. So the great thing is, is that I don't use any of those notes. It's forced me to go nice. and look up stuff on research. my own and do my own research. So maybe they're just leaving room for the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's what they should have let that part blank at the bottom and then yeah. I have room to write notes. But anyway, yeah, that's I, I do like this Bible, though. It's just in my comfort, you know. Yeah. Now, are those notes uh, in your notebook, are those specific for tonight, or are they just notes you have? Um, uh, honestly, these are the notes for that, that event I did up in Seattle, because I figured we might, I don't know, we might, we might touch on some of the same ideas, um, since that, the talk was on that stuff. So, yeah, I didn't write these for you. I'm sorry. Dang it. This, these notes were mm. for sorry, a Jeff. previous conversation about that. So, yep. That's awesome. So, Baptist, still Baptist? No, 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 no. What are you identifying as right now? Oh, that's a good question. I know these terms can... Oh, yeah. They mean a lot of different things, but just generally. Yeah, yeah no, I, I've given up. Um, took me a while, probably probably in the last... Uh, over the last 11 years. Um, yeah, I just got to the place where I can't call myself anything other than a follower of Jesus, you know? I, I Now... If you want to peg down maybe closer to like where I land on certain things, yeah, you could probably, like, I'm, I think I'm closer to an Anabaptist 
I didn't know that until later. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I sort of developed my own, my thinking. I, um, so about 11 years, we, 11 years ago, we were at a church, a vineyard church. Like, we, when we came to California, we, my wife and I got involved with vineyard churches. And we planted a vineyard church with some friends of ours in Tustin called The River and did that for three and a half years. And then we, we felt God calling us to leave that church to start a church. And that was a house church where we gave, where no one takes a salary. Uh, I'm not the pastor. There's no, we want Jesus to be our pastor. So it's a very radical, different thing. We have no statement of faith. Uh, all the offering money goes to help the poor in the community. No creed but Christ. Nope, kind of exactly. No creed but Christ. So I think once we made that very radical shift uh, in that direction, um, yeah, I just sort of like dropped all the labels and all the denominational stuff and and all that. So that was probably the beginning of the the major chunk of my sort of deconstruction of Christianity. Like I just wanted to get back. I started reading. Uh, Eberhard Arnold has a book called Early Christians in Their Own Words. Uh, and that's really what it is. It's just a collection of, you know, Tertullian, Irenaeus, uh, Origen, you know, Athanasius, all these guys. Uh, amazing. You know, you're reading these these things and you're and I'm reading them and I'm just going like, oh, my gosh, these guys got it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I want to get it like that. So, um, yeah. So I just wanted to blow off those labels and, and, and get as close as I could back to sort of a first century idea of Jesus and what it meant to be the body of Christ and, and all that stuff. And then I found out years later that there was this thing called the Anabaptist movement, right? Uh, around the time of the Reformation. And the more I read about that, I was like, Oh, I believe that. Oh, I believe that. Oh, I believe that too. No, I, that's, I think that too. And I'm like, Oh, I guess, uh, I guess I'm, you could probably call me an Anabaptist sort of, uh, in a lot of my thinking. Yeah. So. They're, they're pretty, they're, it's pretty appealing to me. What are a couple of bullet points like what makes an Anabaptist an Anabaptist? I know nonviolence is a big nonviolence deal. is a big part of it. Yeah, and I I was already on that page. Um, that I so it's a very and, and and honestly, this is a giveaway for like every book I, I've written so far and will write in the future. Spoiler alert! <laughs> uh, spoiler alert! Uh, so it's very Jesus centered. Like it's it's like going back to Jesus. So it's talking about like okay, who was Jesus? What was his message? The Sermon on the Mount, um, and it's about specifically following Jesus. So, like, Jesus is at the top, uh, and everything else is beneath that, sort of. So, um, yeah. So, nonviolence because Jesus, you know, makes this big deal in the Sermon on the Mount about about loving our enemies and caring for those, you know, who uh, praying for those who who hate us and all that. So, it's very much a. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's orthopraxy. That's I think that's one of the things that that appeals to me, uh, and this is this is reflect, reflects my move personally theologically. I I've moved from orthodoxy, which is typically what do you believe, you know, the things you believe, the information about God or, or you believe, to an orthopraxy, which is more about who are you following, and you know how are you living your life. The practice of it. Yes, the practice of the faith. And that, and that the practice would be more Jesus-looking. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the more I've moved, that's kind of the direction I've been heading uh, for the last, yeah, 10 or 11 years. It's crazy you had to go from Baptist to Anabaptist yeah. to get there. Yeah, it is. To actually follow Christ. I was a dig at the Baptist, but yeah, kind of a yeah. joke. I'm just kidding. It's funny. Mostly. Didn't the Baptist, like, kill the Anabaptist? Uh, I don't know if the Baptists did, but the Reformers did. There's a great book called The Reformers and Their Stepchildren by Leonard Verdun. Is that his name? I think it's Verdun. Um, 
Zach will include it in the show notes. It's fine. Okay, good. He'll stick it in there. <laughs> He'll look it we'll up. Google that later. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's the crazy thing is that, yeah, they, the Anabaptists got a raw deal, man. So a lot of the ideas that Martin Luther had came from his Anabaptist friends. So he had a lot of friends who were Anabaptists. This is back when he was still in the Catholic Church. And they would get together with him, and they would all talk about these ideas, about getting back to Jesus, getting back to following Christ, and you know all this stuff. And he was right in line with all of that. And he never wanted to leave the Catholic Church. Right, right? in the beginning, yeah. yeah. So, but, but the weird thing is, is that when Luther made that shift, he didn't quite go as far as the Anab- his Anabaptist friends wanted to go. So he kind of went a little out there, but in the end, he kind of just sort of like just changed some of the labels. Like instead of priests, we'll have pastors. Instead of, you know, uh, meeting here, we'll meet there. Like he kind of just, he didn't change it very much. It wasn't a, a complete reformation, uh, at least in the, in the eyes of many of the uh, Anabaptists, right? They looked at it like, well, yeah, it's nice that you broke away and it's nice that you are emphasizing certain things and getting away from indulgences and things like that, but you just kind of redefine some of the terms, terminology, and you're still kind of doing some of the same stuff. And, but, he still had one foot in the Tiber. A little bit, yeah. And then Calvin, of course, also was pretty uh, pretty much against a lot of the Anabaptist ideas. So, yeah, and then the Anabaptists, it's funny because that, that's another key thing with Anabaptists is um, they're very, very much in the two kingdoms idea, which is what the early church had this idea of the two kingdoms rule, which is that there's the kingdom of the world, which was like nationalism and things like that. And then there's the kingdom of God. And these are two very separate, there's a hard line between those things. And so that's why they were Anabaptists, because uh, Anabaptists meant to baptize again. Uh, under the state religion, you babies were baptized. And that was part of being not only baptized into Christ and into the church, but as a citizen of the state. Wow. Right? It, was, it was all fused together. It was entangled yeah. together. And so they were like, no, 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 no. Uh, you need to be baptized into Christ when you're old enough to understand who Jesus is, what he teaches, why you're doing this, and you are saying consciously, I am laying down my life and, uh, and surrendering my life to Christ. And that, so they were re-baptizing, believer's baptism. And we, today we go, well, of course. <laughs> but back then, that was like treason. Mm. Like, what are you doing? You're going yeah. against the state because the state says it's this way, and you're d- kind of under the radar doing it your own way. So anyway, a lot of them got arrested and tortured and killed and thrown off the bridges. And the sad thing you was, you want another baptism? Yes, here you go. Yeah, you're right. See, that's exactly <laughs> what they would do. That's some of the horrific things they would like tie rocks around these guys and say, "Yeah, you want to be baptized? We'll, we'll really baptize you." And they threw them in the river and drowned them in the river. Uh, so yeah, very sad. That's dark. It is dark. And then they yeah. also re uh, re uh, there. You can find you can find um, even today. People, because again, you know, the, the survivors write the history. So uh, for the longest time, people accused the Anabaptists of being a violent sect that that rebelled against uh, the early Christian movement. Have you heard the Dan Carlin hardcore history uh-uh. episode of that? Does he talk about that? Um, and does he refer to them as violent? No, I don't. I don't think so. In my mind, it's been so long. But many of them do because yeah. because they didn't translate their writing, the writings of the actual Anabaptists into uh, German or later on into English. So we could read, because if you would read what they actually wrote, you would see they were radically nonviolent. So to label them as violent was just a way to marginalize them and to say, oh, they were wackos. 
But if you if you want to cringe at the story, yeah, like that, yeah. Uh, di- um, listen That's to Dan cr- Carlin's. Um, man, he talks about how they the the I think the last stronghold of the Anabaptists they 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 were locked they got locked themselves in one of the castles, mm. and I think it was the French. Um, one of the French higher ups they surrounded um surrounded, surrounded the castle, and the people, the Anabaptists, trapped in, ran out of food, mm. and they had a choice on whether or not they were going to eat their babies. Yeah, it's it's yeah, like heart wrenching. It's like horrific. Yeah, it's horrific stuff. Uh, so yeah, when you see that kind of persecution, and this is the saddest thing to me, you know, like if you go back to Constantine. Again, we blame everything on him, uh, but pre-Constantine. You know, Christians were being killed and and martyred and persecuted by the state for refusing to say that Caesar was Lord, right? They they went to their death saying, we have no king, we have no Lord but Christ. So then Constantine's sort of like, oh, hey, I'm a Christian now, and uh, I like you Christians, and we're not going to kill you anymore. And By the way, here's a free building you can live in. I'll put some of you guys, on the bishops, on the payroll. And uh, isn't this great? And so some a lot of them said, yeah, this is great. Suddenly now we do have another king. His name is Constantine. Um, and many of the early Christians who, who sort of, uh, warmed up to the idea of Constantine and and the state and sort of this, this entanglement of, of the Christian church with, with the empire and with the state. Um, the, the ironic thing is they did so because they, they believed that to do so would be to take the sword off of their throat, off the throat of the church, right? Because before that, what was happening? The Rome was killing and persecuting Christians. Well, Hey, Oh, now they like us, so let's buddy up to them. And now we won't get killed anymore. Within a generation, Christians were being killed again by the sword, but this time by other Christians. That is the sick thing, yeah. is that now it wasn't Rome doing it, it was other Christians doing it, because, well, we decided now that these beliefs are Christian beliefs. Anything that's not this belief is a non-Christian belief, is a her- heresy. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to take the sword and other Christians are going to kill Christians for believing the wrong things about God. That's because you can't, you can't afford to have them lead people to hell forever. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, there, like there are two, um, two aspects to that. Um, you know, so, I yeah, forgot on. my... I'm going to grab the... Keep going. I'm going to get the charger so we don't lose this session because I need that the charger be, for the battery. That'd be good to not lose the session. Um, yeah, two aspects where... Yeah, on the one side you have the new, the state-run, uh, state-backed orthodoxy, um, who's willing to kill um, to maintain to yep. maintain that. Uh, on the other side, you have the um, those who are, I, I guess, from one the other side's perspective, they're opposing the state, mm-hmm. uh, but. From their view, they are standing for truth, right? Um, and what you know, we we have today things that are, you know, we consider as part of the, um, what's what's that called? Where um, the the essential truths, right, right. So the essentials of the faith, right? yeah, the, yeah, the essentials. So what the the people who were who were persecuted by the state. Um, they had a decision to make um, on whether or not they were going to 
give in to what the state is saying or whether or not they're going to stand firm on what what they believe to be true. Yeah. Now, part of the uh, one of the questions would be: Were those essentials of the faith, and should they have right. maintained <laughs> them unto death? Um, and you know, e- e- whatever the answer is, there might be implications for us today. Yeah. Um, baptism, right? I, I think many of us say is m- many of us today say, well, it's not essential. It's it's given as something we should do, but it's not right. Uh, we wouldn't kill anybody today over, I hope anyway, the issue of baptism. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. There are but some pretty interesting sprinkling methods that are yeah. kind of confusing and probably should stop. <laughs> I've seen some clips on YouTube that are pretty violent. Oh looking. my god! Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the uh, um, you know, is this or were, were those things that are essentials that they should? Uh, you know, why not? Hey, just give in. Give give well, give in to what the state is saying and 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 uh, yeah, because they're not essential. Well, I, I think I look at it too. Like, um, I mean, yeah, of course, there's going to be different views, and, here, and this is the thing: there always were. Like, if you go back in church history, even even before Constantine, there were all kinds of debates and dialogues and discussions and arguments, right, between Tertullian and you know all these different guys, and um, they didn't all agree on everything, and there was you know, very robust disagreement and debate and argument and uh, over different theological issues. And I would say, good. Like, that's good. That's a good thing. Like, why does argument have to be decided by a sword? Like, nope, I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm going to end the argument and I'm going to decide it by saying, if you don't agree with me, we're going to, you know, put you on the rack or burn you alive or something. Like, look, if your idea is true, then great. You know what I mean? Then you teach it. And, and and teach it to as many people as you can and as persuasively as, as persuasively as you can. And and other people are going to teach other things. You're just going to have to live with that. Other people are going to see it differently. Yeah. And, oh, you guys stay over there and I'll go over there and we don't have to kill one another. Like, yeah. that doesn't have to be our only option, right? I have this kind of comical vision in my head of after the restoration of all things, like somebody, people walk up to each other and one guy's like, wait, don't I know you? It's like, yeah, you killed me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sorry yeah. about that, man. I kind of <laughs> overreacted. Yeah, that'll be an interesting, uh, like Calvin and Michael Cervatus, you know, like, hey, dude, are we good? Are we good? Is yeah. it all right now? Yeah, yeah, we're good, man. Bring yeah. it in, bring it in. Yeah, you know, um, those are, but those are unfortunately, those are things like uh, we get really, um we get really passionate. I mean, let's think of it this way. Like, I have online had some arguments with people over theological issues. You don't mind mixing it up on the Facebook. Apparently, no. It's not That's something... Sure. I Maybe I haven't learned my lesson or something. <laughs> uh, but, but, um, but I know there are some people that if they had the power of the sword to kill me, just judging on the, the, the level of heat coming through the, the internet, vitriol. if they could, they would. You What's know what I mean? A, what are some I, of your favorite labels you've been given? <laughs> well, false teacher, is that's a common one. That's my favorite one. That's not very creative, I don't though. have any creative ones. You know, Matt, Matt DiStefano, has, has, he's collected, you know, some of the better ones yeah. he's received. Uh, I just sort of let him roll off my back, honestly, because, like, um, most of the time, these comments are coming from people where I don't know these people. You know what I mean? Right. It's Johnny Fatata from somewhere, you know, Iowa. I don't care. And, and he doesn't agree with me and that's okay. You know, uh, he doesn't, he wants to call me something and call me a heretic or whatever. All right, sure. Why not? Um, the only things, the only ones that really bug me are the people I really know. 
Like, if I know that guy, like, you've been to my house, right? Mm -hmm. And I know your kids. Okay, and now we're having this. Well, it sounds like a threat, Keith. (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't mean you. He knows I don't mean where you. you live and your kids. No, but but I do mean some other people that I really do know. Like when when those things, when someone like that gets that heated and that upset and starts like, then it's like, ah, oh, come on, man. And then the good thing is at least you know usually I can call him on the phone or something like, hey, dude, let's have coffee and talk. This is getting crazy. Uh, but people do. We get really passionate about our beliefs and our, and, and our ideas and stuff. Um, and we defend sometimes the like I, the things I've argued about with. People, I think, have been the dumbest things. Like uh, a real life example, I was ha- a guy I know, a uh, good guy, great guy, love him. We started an email. I think just the internet is a bad place to have conversations. This is the bottom line. It's very we shouldn't difficult. have these kind of these kind of conversations on the internet if if you can avoid it. Text is like a force amplifier. Yeah, I think. yeah. Automatically, it seems harsher. Yeah. yeah, because you don't you don't hear the exactly. So if we were skyping. At least, then yeah. he could he could hear my voice. He could see my face. He see, would, yeah. Uh, that and so it would be so much better than just reading something. But we were emailing back and forth, and it was on the it, the question of Paul's thorn in his side, right? When he talks about uh, this thorn in my flesh that I prayed three times for God to remove it, and he said, "My grace is sufficient for you." So um, my view on that was that uh, that there's a good. I'm not dogmatic about it, but I think right. there's good evidence that it was his eyesight. How dare you? I know. How dare I? And his thing was that, no, it wasn't a physical, it wasn't a physical sickness. It was some, like, a, maybe it was a person that was, uh, like, a, you know, just, like, bothering him or harassing him kind of a thing um, or something like that. And so I'm, I'm giving him my reasons why. Well, Paul talks about, you know, um, he makes, makes a comment, I think, in the same letter about how you, he says to them, you love me so much you would have taken out your eyes and given them to me. Well, why would he need new eyes? What, so with such large writing. Yeah, look at me. His, exactly. Yeah. Look, look at how I write to you in my own hand and what such large handwriting. Why would he write large? Because he can't see very well. I mean, going even back to his original uh, conversion experience, what happened? He was blinded. Uh, by a bright light, and then he was, you know, the scales had to fall from his eyes. So, like, maybe there's still something hanging on from that initial uh, calling. It's like, the you know, uh, Abraham, uh, not Abraham. Uh, Isaac. Yeah, when he wrestles wrestles with uh, with God. and the he angel. It's Israel, right? Yeah. yeah. And he, he wrestles uh, with God, and God gives him the limp, right? And so it's always a reminder, a constant reminder. Is it Jacob? That, I think it's Jacob, Jacob. isn't it? Uh, it's Jacob. Yeah. I think it's Jacob. Hey. Isaac, all right? <laughs> I think it's Jacob. You're right. Um, well, hey, we'll already we're later. talking more Bible than about 90% of our episodes, <laughs> so we're on a good pace. Yeah. Well, that's, but in that, and I, and I, I like that. Wait, you know, whether or not it's correct, I like but, it. But again, because, I have no passion. Yeah. Well, I don't care yeah. if I'm yeah. wrong. Yeah. If, they, if you get proved to me, I'm wrong. Okay, I'm wrong. It's a weird thing to have your identity <laughs> wrapped into yes. enough or, to wear. Or even to get so angry. And yeah. What did he, so yeah. Go, oh, sorry, he go on. flipped out, dude. Um, yeah, we were going back and forth, and I'm making my case, and he was making his case, and I, and I, again, it's one of those things where if he could have seen my face and heard my voice, I was saying it with a smile, and I was joking, and I said something about, um, I, I made some kind of reference to like a faith healer or something, right? Like Benny. Joel Hinn. Olstein. No, no, it was something like Benny Hinn or, or one of these faith healer guys, and maybe, maybe in his background, and that's in his past or something. Anyway, he just flipped out. How dare you? And then he got really personal and started attacking me, calling me names. And I'm like, whoa, dude, what just happened here? Whew. And then that was like, okay, we're done. We're having coffee. We had coffee. We talked face to face. Everything was great after that. 
<laughs> yeah, we've we've had some blow ups uh, here <laughs> on the old BBB pod. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then after the fact. Yeah, because we're very, very diverse here. Yeah. Other than our white skin, we're very diverse theologically. Yeah. I should say. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, we don't talk for a few days. It's like probably better. Like, wow. A mm, yeah. couple see, apologies. See, that we, yeah. uh, the three of us on, on, on me and Jamal and Matt on Heretic Happy Hour, like, uh, we don't, we, well, so far we haven't. It may, it may happen. You know, who knows what's going to happen down the road. But we don't, so far we haven't got upset at each other. But Jamal and I had our big argument way before we started the podcast. So, and, and we're good now. So I guess maybe we got out of our system. Yeah. Well, you're number two that we've had Matthew on. We'll get Jamal on eventually. He's yeah. working on a, on a book too, right? Yes, he is. New book. For some reason, he's not allowed to talk about it. I've read it. I don't know why he can't talk about it. All I can tell you is it's not about Mary Magdalene. Uh, as you would might suspect, which if you know anything about <laughs> Jamal or the Happy Hour, that's his favorite thing to talk about. Yeah. Yes, um, but yeah, he's got one coming out, a new one coming out soon. So yeah, you guys should. It's really good. I think you guys will enjoy talking to him. Yeah, Scott got into it a little bit with him uh, when on the live episode before you guys started. I don't even know what we were talking, were about, talking about, but it wasn't long before you and Jamal were having a, a good, robust <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yeah, either it was either before or after. I forget. It might have well, been it was after. Both. I think it was after. It was both. It was both because I, I left after and Jamal, I, I saw you doing it before. Oh, so maybe okay. you, you picked it up after. Yeah. <laughs> you stayed pretty late. Yeah. It's Good just, times. Well, yeah, I'll have, to, I, I'll have to think about it. I don't remember specifically, but it's just like. No, that's fine. Yeah, some of the things were. Yeah, he's one of the most. statements. Like, like, kind of like a, almost like a Mormon where you're like. I agree with the words yes. you're saying. Yes, I'm pretty <laughs> sure you have a different definition than what oh, yeah. I have. No, no. See, we've uh, we're uh, we're all learning this. Like, so Matt Matt on the last podcast episode even made a comment about this. Like, and and I've I've done the same thing, where it's like he'll say something, and honestly, I don't know if this is calculated on purpose or if it's just the way he's wired. I don't honestly know if it's is it on, is it is he doing it calculated or is it just automatic? But at any rate. He, he will usually will make a statement, and and usually that first statement is like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> that is the craziest thing." But then the more he talks and starts to unpack it and connect the dots, by the time he gets to the end of the of the conversation, it's like, "Oh, well, no, I, yeah, I agree with that. I see what you that okay." But if you don't wait for him to get to the end and explain it, and you just stopped after that first comment, you'd be like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So I, again, I don't know if it's just, he just doesn't know how to say it at the beginning. And then he, he sort of like, it makes sense at the end or, or, or maybe, and I might have more respect for him if he's doing it this way. If he <laughs> knows exactly what he's doing and he's thought ahead of time, how do I say this in a way to get people to go, what plant seeds? It's beautiful. I mean, it's a great way to like say something sort of shocking and make people go, what? And now you got their attention, <laughs> right? And then explain it. The, yeah, oh, okay. that's fun. Yeah. That's a fun yeah, way to do he, conversations. And I've only talked to him that one time and um, he's like, yeah, it's like a mystical type of, <laughs> oh, you're, yeah. like, you're like, hmm, I, uh, I want to, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with him on a lot of things, really, honestly. Uh, so usually what it scares me is if when he does 
get to something and I do agree with him, then I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I agree with that. Like, I have to think about that. I need to rethink. You got to make sure. <laughs> I got to make sure that I... <laughs> and, should I... and should I come out and admit this? Should I admit to everybody that I think I agree with what he just said? And, yeah, not to, <laughs> not to, not to you know, focus on him, but I think, I think at one point on that, that episode, he... Hi, Jamal. Yeah. yeah hi, Jamal. <laughs> We're talking about you. I think he said, he said something about the, uh, there is no afterlife. And I was like, yes. I was like, man, did I hear that right? And I had to like, I had to really think about what I just heard. Um, and, it, and you guys are yeah. talking, and I and we might have that might have been part of the discussion. It's we just a weird yeah. perspective. So the way he the way he unpacks that is to say there's no afterlife because everything is right now. So like every so now is now, right? And so when you're after you die, after you physically your body physically dies, it, you're still conscious, and it's still now. So it's not afterlife it's like your body's dead but you're still it's always in the, the now. present oh, it's always okay. the, yes yeah. that yeah your consciousness is your always eternity aware. started when you were born <laughs> and scott if, and if and it, okay and if that's what he means and then we'll move on okay but who okay. knows really what he means because i think if you let him keep talking uh i think he might eventually get some to some territory where we would all be like i know i don't agree with that <laughs> all right well, Jamal, we need to have you on, buddy. There you go, Jamal. <laughs> we just left uh, left the door open for you, man. You're next. I love it. So, I mean, based on your Facebook uh, feedback and mixing it up, you're obviously off of the reservation of a lot of Christians, mm-hmm. correct? Oh, yeah. How did you get there? I mean, is that just anabaptism? Is there something else like above and beyond that? Because most Christians would be, okay, okay, nonviolence doesn't seem very practical. This is how I was. I was like... Yeah, it's not right now. That comes later. Mm-hmm. That's in heaven or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think most Christians are probably like that, at least in America. We're like mm-hmm. nonviolent. Yeah, it's a nice thing to shoot for, but mm-hmm. it's not practical. Mm-hmm. Not literally. How do you like, I guess my question is changing as I'm talking, yeah, which okay. would, wouldn't be the <laughs> first that. time. It's a moving but, target here. <laughs> but uh, you, like what is practically, how does it work nonviolent for you practically? Yep. Um and then what what else puts you like how did you get to your book yeah. where you are stirring things up yeah yeah well so um so I, I started blogging about the same a little bit before i like i left that previous church to start the house church thing so i've been blogging for about 11 years or 11 12 years and in the beginning that's all i was doing so i was just blogging my ideas and so um and then you know you, you just i started realizing that some of the ideas that I had were challenging for people, right? And I would get these reactions. Um, so I would blog about like my ideas about church, which were, which had changed. And so suddenly now I don't think of church anymore as a building that we go to. I think of it as it's who we are. Uh, I was really into the idea of the priesthood of all believers. So it's not one guy who has all these gifts in First Corinthians 12. It's all of us who have all the gifts and all of us together are ministering to one another and anyway, so all those ideas started shifting, and I, and what I do, it's one of the ways I process, I just write about it. So as I would blog about it and write about it, I'd get pushback and arguments, and and some of it was good and healthy, and some of the people would be like, oh, I see what you're saying, oh yeah, that, that's right. Uh, and so that was the positive side, and then I would get pushback of like, no, you're wrong, you're a heretic, uh, you're going against tradition, you're going against uh, the whole thing. Like, are you smarter than, you know? 
Martin Luther? Are you saying you're smarter than John Calvin? They're like, no, I'm not. I'm just saying I'm reading the Bible and this is what I see. And you might be. And, I mean, you might. But I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm not trying to say I'm smarter <laughs> than those guys, right? That's not <laughs> the point. Um, and then I started writing again once I started realizing more of this Jesus-centered, kind of more of an Anabaptist thing, which again I found out later was Anabaptist, but more of a Jesus-centered uh, approach to or- not orthodoxy but orthopraxy. And then saying, well, no, I'm going to take Jesus seriously. I think he really means I should love my enemies. I should uh, not respond to evil with violence. That I should, that he really is serious about this. He wants me to do these things. And here's why. And so I do take all that very seriously. And um, so, that, but of course, I get arguments about that, right? People pushing back on that. Um, that the ironic thing, especially nowadays, is to get, there's this weird thing that happens. And sometimes it'll happen at the same time. Matt and I have talked about this with each other. We, we're both you know, sharing the same weird uh, thing. So I could be having a conversation on Facebook uh, where I'm saying, no, Jesus is nonviolent. Jesus wants us to be nonviolent. Jesus wants us to respond with, not with violence, but with love to our enemies and to evil. And then Christians are telling me, no, you're wrong. That's, that's not right. And here's all the reasons why, blah, blah, blah. And I'm in this massive argument about that. And on the same day, on, I'll have, I'll have a, another argument with other Christians who are saying, Islam is a violent religion. And here's a bunch of verses from the Quran to prove how violent Islam is. But look at all these verses from Jesus about peace. Christianity is a peaceful religion. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but over here... Christians are t- arguing and telling me, oh, heck no, Jesus is not a nonviolent Messiah. He doesn't expect us to be nonviolent. But Islam is violent, and we're not. Look, all these things Jesus yeah. said. I'm like, well, wait, wait a minute. It's, which one is it? dissonance. Right, cognitive dissonance. Like, hold well, on a second. I mean, sh- sure, that might take place, but they're two different groups of people. Possibly. Sometimes, yeah. though, it's I the wasn't. same people. <laughs> hand hand, hand yeah. up. It was me. Yeah, I was yeah. the same person. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes same it is sense. the same person, and it's like, okay, well, what are we talking about here, right? So um, anyway, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, but like I, I, in the beginning, I was just blogging and processing verbally and writing these things, I, these ideas out there. And the beautiful thing, I actually like those arguments. Not that I like arguing, because I really don't. Uh, I don't. I don't like the, when he, especially when it gets really ugly. But, um, but it helps me when I get pushback, right? When I get people going, but what about this verse? And what about that verse? And what about here? And what about there? Because then it's like, well, yeah, I need to know if I'm, if I'm going to understand my own beliefs, I need to be able to answer those objections. Mm-hmm. And so it's helped me a lot, right? And so then I started writing books about it, um, about some of my beliefs and stuff. So again, like I said, I self-published like six books before uh, Jesus Untangled. and, uh, and then All around the same size, like 200-ish pages? Uh, let's see. The first one I did was probably the one of the biggest ones. It was Can called, people still find them? Oh, yeah. They're on Lulu. Dot com. If you go to it's a self publishing website, lulu.com, you put my name and you'll see them. So be, care, I wrote, be careful how you type that, people. L U L U dot com. Yes. Um, I, I didn't realize you no, could be careful. I don't know. I just. <laughs> but yeah, be, be careful out there uh, in internet land. <laughs> and uh, just generally. <laughs> in general. Just take care, guys. Please, please. <laughs> a public service announcement. Uh, so I wrote a book called Nobody Follows Jesus, So Why Should You? That was, I think, my first one. And it was, honestly, it was a, it was just a, a collection of most of my, what I thought were my better blog posts, mm-hmm. uh, kind of tracking along this Anabaptist nonviolent sort of uh, way of thinking. Um, but yeah, no, the other ones are pretty small. They were. I mean, I, I struggled for some of them to even be uh, like 
10 pages or 112 pages like so um but i wrote i wrote uh, the better ones that i wrote that i people might even want to still want to think about i wrote one called this is my body that one's pretty large. Uh, that You're talking about yourself, right? Yeah, it's this is my body. Ecclesia is God intended. This is more my house church. Uh, it's book. not. It's not a coffee table book of pictures of. <laughs> no, him. it's not. It's not photographs of my body. <laughs> it's when Jesus says, "This is my body broken for you." So we're saying yeah. the body of Christ and what does it look like? So um, yeah, that that one, I gave that one away uh, early on. Like uh, I had an ebook version of it. That I just gave away for free. I think I gave away like ten thousand copies. This of that. is so good. People need it. Yeah, I really did. It's funny because I in the early days I had a job. Did you get ten thousand downloads? Yeah, you got over, them all. More than ten thousand. Oh, right. Yeah, I, I stopped counting after the ten thousand. It just so I gave them away for free, uh, and I really was excited about that. Like I was, I was more jazzed that I was giving away ten thousand copies of that book. Like this is awesome. People mm-hmm. are reading it. It's out there. I got a lot of great feedback from it. Um, then I wrote two other books after that that were pretty small. These are, those are the thin ones, uh, kind of the smaller ones. One was called The Gospel for Hero to Go, um, which is more of a missional, like the gospel is our life, how we live our life, not the four spiritual laws and say this prayer so you go to heaven when you die kind of a thing. Um, and then I wrote The Power of Weakness, which um, was just on this whole principle of, uh, really what I realized is, you know, Paul talks about this idea of, you know, going back to that story, right? He prayed three times for God to remove the thorn from his flesh. God says, no, my... My power is made perfect in weakness. And um, so then Paul's response is, well, then fine, he gets it. He says, okay, then I will boast all the more in my weakness because he says, this is the power of Christ at work in me. And that principle of the idea of the power of weakness, when we're weak, he's strong. I started realizing how that principle plays out all through scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. So, um, so uh, it's okay. So, um Every chapter of that book looks at it, it takes one particular biblical character. So like, I think chapter one is Moses. Um, and then uh, I think it goes through Samson, uh, talks about Peter and Paul, the woman at the well. Uh, it takes different biblical characters and uh, Gideon and illustrates how um, the beautiful thing, this is the beautiful idea that I think we miss sometimes in scripture is that God loves to do extraordinary things to ordinary people. You know, the first time I read through the Bible as a young boy, I read about David and, you know, and Moses and, and Gideon and Samson, and all these guys. And I'm like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I could be someone like that? That God could use someone like, like God could use someone like me in some amazing way like that. And then when I got older and, and realized, oh, the only people God ever does anything extraordinary through are ordinary people, Right. Because all of those guys are losers. Mm-hmm. Every last one of them is a complete knucklehead, right? They, you know, they all blow it. In fact, until they blow it, you know, God doesn't do anything with them, right? Like Moses. Moses at first is like, oh, I'm the one. I'm going to rescue my people. And he ends up killing the Egyptian guy. And then, oh, crap, what I do? Runs and hides. And he's out there for 40 years. And by the time God shows up and says, Moses, it's time. You're my guy. Let's go. He's like, oh, get somebody else. <laughs> it's not me. I can't no, speak well. Don't use yeah. me. Like, Right, he's so humbled now. He's like, no, no, not me. And, and and honestly, that pattern is really reflected all through Scripture. Like, wow. So then I don't have to first be, I don't have to be the, the, the quarterback of the football team. I don't have to be the best-looking guy, the most talented guy. The opposite is true. Actually, God is looking for everyday, ordinary people who are just willing to say, okay, here I am. Send me, you know, let's go. Someone who's just willing to be obedient to say, Lord, if you say go, I'll, I'll, I'll go. 
So that's what The Power of Weakness was about. Um, I really love that book. Um, well, that's the, like, going back to the story of Paul being blinded is he yeah. was, like, the Pharisee of Pharisees. Yes. He was uh, uh, moving up in the ranks. Yeah. And, yeah, losing his sight. And while he's blind, Jesus says, you will be my witness. Yes. At, you know, th- essentially throughout uh, the whole Roman Empire. Yeah. Well, and not only that, there's a powerful, there's a powerful thing that we only hear it. It's when the spirit of God goes to, what's his name? Uh, Is it Ananias or whatever? The the guy that ends up having to go and heal Paul. God speaks to him and says, go and heal Paul. Yeah, not Ananias. It's not Uh, Ananias. I can't uh, think of his name. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. but and that he's guy, like, he's like, ah, you mean the guy that's persecuting? Yeah, the yeah. Church? But what God says to, but what, but, but what God says to that guy about Paul, he says, uh, he goes, I, I have shown him all he must suffer for yeah. my, for the kingdom. Yes, suffer. Oh, and man. so, that's the crazy thing. So that means that Paul, before he did anything, God showed him this is what it's going to cost. This is what you're going to have to go through. And Paul's like, all right, I'll do it. Yeah, you give up everything. Yeah. And everything you thought you were going towards. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're changing this around. So yeah. Anyway, it's it's a fascinating concept. Uh, I really loved that book. So, that's yeah, awesome. That's cool. oh, so you mentioned, um, oh no, not nonviolence. I think is yeah, where yeah. To and I, we've talked about that. I think a couple of times um, uh, uh, here on the the BBB pod. But um, to what extent? Is nonviolence mm-hmm. like how, when, where? Yeah. Well, um, I guess I should. I want to back up and talk about the principle of it because I think the, the we shouldn't have the idea that what Jesus has in mind is that we should be doormats. That's not his ultimate goal. His goal is not I want my followers to get the crap kicked out of them. That's not the point. The point I believe is what Jesus wants to happen is that first of all. I think everything starts with abiding in him. Like we have to first know Jesus, abide in him, and, and he, we abide in him and he abides in us. We know him, he knows us. And the more we grow in our um, connection and, and the life of Christ within us, from that starting point, um, we become people who, we, bego- we become transformed ourselves, okay? We become partakers of the divine nature. We realize the incredible love of God for us and it begins to change us. And so now we have experienced something that people outside the kingdom have never tasted, never experienced. Don't even, don't even think that it's even possible to know this kind of connection with God, with the divine. And so then when someone slaps me, disrespects me, you know, uh, does violence against me, what I think Jesus wants us to see is this is an opportunity for the kingdom to break in right now. And so when that person does something hateful to you, if you respond with love, they're going to say, what? what are you doing? No one does that, right? And so it's an opportunity for you to show to that person who does not deserve it, doesn't expect it, mm-hmm. overwhelm them with this incredible transformative love of Christ, and it's an opportunity for the kingdom to break into that person's life, that they would go, whoa, what is this? I just did an event up in um, Cincinnati with Josh Lawson uh, called The Nonviolent Love of Christ, and one of the powerful things we did in that session was I found about like six or seven um, real-world examples of actual situations where someone responded to like a mugger with a knife or a guy with a gun 
or you know someone broke into their house or whatever and that person responded in a, in this in a, in a in a loving way or an unexpected way um, where they didn't respond with violence they responded with love or with hope or with acceptance or something like that and just how boom it changed everything and so we just we, I had like six or seven video clips we played one of them we talked about it played another one we talked about it and again it was just to get our imagination around the idea that wow okay yeah this does work it actually does work but then someone had a good point and I guess it gets to your question I'm getting there I think I'm getting there no it's good it's good um Someone asked a question, Keith, in all these examples, um, the people survive, right? Uh, the people, uh, they don't get stabbed, they don't get shot, they don't get robbed, right? There's a, there's a beautiful, there's a redemption in it. Um, but that's not always the case. And I said, you're right. Thank you for bringing that up. Like, I'm showing you examples where that loving, uh, unexpected sort of kingdom response um, re- creates this beautiful redemptive experience because that gives us hope that this could work. But, and this is what we have to keep in mind, getting killed is always an option, mm-hmm. right? Dying for your faith is, in fact, that's I think why Jesus says, before we even get started here, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to die to yourself from day one. And you have to do it every day. Every day you have a funeral for you. You're dead. You died. Your life is hidden in Christ. Your life is surrendered to me. Okay, now, let's go. And so you could respond this way, that knowing that you're secure in that, well, I'm hidden in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ. I'm okay. If, and, and if I respond in a beautiful way, and this person is, is, becomes my brother or my sister in Christ, as a result of me showing them this incredible transformative love of Jesus, whoa, awesome. That was great. Now we can, we can tell a great story about how that happened. But if that person just says, screw you and pops me and kills me, I die. But I die because I'm putting the things Jesus told me into practice. That's dying for my faith. I'm dying because I was obeying Jesus to the point of death. The fullest example of take up your cross. Yeah. It's like take up your death machine. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You're carrying the instrument <laughs> yeah. of your death on your back with you every day. And then now, that, well, that's, that's the... That's and it the, might be figurative death. It might be spiritual but death. But it could be literal death. It could be literal It could death. be a literal death. Well, when it comes to violence... Yeah. I, I think that's the, that's the context, I think. <laughs> well, sometimes <laughs> violence is verbal. I mean, it could no, be... Uh, sure. Well, okay. Sure. So I would be careful... I, I no, pers- I know, I know. I, I personally would be careful how far I would take violence as being verbal or... But I mean yeah. the concept in responding in kind for an evil against you, the concept goes beyond physical violence. It goes from the smallest thing to right. It has to, to. I think you're right. It has to start with. It can't just be like, well, I'm going to wait for someone to physically attack me and then I'm going to kick this in. Like it honestly has to be a mindset that it would begin at an insult. It would it would begin even at, so at, at all parts of your life. Your response is love. I don't even think it's response. I wouldn't even back it up from that. I think um, this is why I don't call, I don't think Jesus was a pacifist. I don't think Jesus, because pacifism implies not doing something. And that is not what Jesus has in mind. I think Jesus has a, has a very proactive love in mind, right? So a nonviolent, non-pacifist. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not passive. It's proactive. I'm loving you before you even think about saying something to me that's evil, right? I'm, I'm, on, I'm proactively loving you, right? I'm not waiting for you first to do something and then I'm going to respond. It's not responsive, it's reactive, it's proactive. 
or not reactive, it's proactive. So I think that honesty is what Jesus has in mind. And so then it does get to the place of, uh, this is a weird example, but, but it's a, it's actually a beautiful real world example. Um, have you guys, did you ever see that thing about Sarah Silverman, the comedian Yes. on Twitter? Right? Yeah. Wasn't that amazing? I know what you're talking about, but why don't you briefly yeah, uh, so mention it? Sarah Silverman, not a Christian, I'm pretty sure. She's a Jew. She's Jewish, yes. Um, but oh my gosh, this was the most Christian, Jesus y thing I think I've seen in, in in a celebrity maybe ever. So on Twitter, some guy just started calling her the C word. I won't say it, but it's a the C word he called her and um on Twitter and she responded immediately with grace. Wow. You know, what's kind of, what kind of pain are you dealing with in your life? You know what I mean? What's yeah, your life? Something must be going on. Something is going on with yeah. you. She starts to, but in a very gentle way, she redirected it. She didn't even address that he had used the word. It was just immediately, how are you doing, man? What's going on with you? You have some pain in your life? And then he starts slowly saying, yeah, I don't think he had a back injury or some kind of a, yeah, he had some kind of physical injury. Might even have been from being overseas in the war or something. I don't remember what it was from or maybe a work injury. Anyway, um, slowly he just starts opening up to her that he couldn't get money for physical therapy and he's in pain constantly and he was addicted to drugs and all this stuff and he's constantly in pain and blah, blah, blah. Dude, not only did she turn around and bless this guy, they ended up, she ended up raising money, like thousands of dollars yeah. to pay for his physical therapy. It's so good. It was like freaking amazing. That was surprising because she can be. Oh, I wonder yes. if she. I mean, maybe there's a shift going on. She can be pretty conf- confrontational. Oh yeah. And so that kind of surprised me. I Honestly, do. part of me was like, "Wait, is there some weird show where she's going around connecting people? Yeah, yeah. Is this, is this some like viral like underground guerrilla marketing? Well, you know what? So what's on? funny is right before that happened, uh, I guess she does have some kind of a TV show. She. She brought on this girl who's the granddaughter of the guy that started Westboro Baptist Church. And she was actually, you know, in the, in the beginning, you're totally into that. Holding the sign, God hates fags. Right. You know, all that stuff. Well, so you'll say she, the F word, but not the C word. Go ahead. Carry on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, she, uh, <laughs> she, uh, but she, she, she came out of it. She realized this isn't who Jesus is. And Partly so, through Twitter. Yeah. Through her interaction with Twitter. Yeah. Pretty she, crazy. You realize, like, oh, that's oh, right. There's a bigger world that's going right. on than what I'm a part of. That's right. I forgot about that. So, yes, yeah, she tells the story about it was a guy on Twitter, another a Christian guy on Twitter, who slowly started showing her how what she was doing wasn't Christ-like, and slowly she started realizing, yeah, uh, this isn't right, and she left. So, yeah, so she, that girl, and Sarah Silverman are like super good friends. It wasn't just like you're a guest on my show. Like they, they were. Like, they're real-life friends. So I'm wondering if maybe this girl has some kind of an Im- impact on her, because that was a, like a few weeks before this thing happened with this guy. Yeah. Um, who knows? But anyway, to me, that's an example of it. You know what I mean? You know, there's something with the disruption of Jesus, probably Jesus being the biggest disruption of of all time. Yep. And so the norm is the world, and when the world interacts with believers and they're in a place um, like Jesus, then they flip the script on what people see as the norm. Yep. And it does. It throws them a curveball and it makes them stop. They've just, dis- you've disrupted mm-hmm. what they expect and expect and having the expectations and, and then they're not met leaves you with, wait, 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 yeah. Go, let's go back here. What what's happened? Why did you 
why did you not come back with a, a like you're wrong, I'm right, yeah. and just go and let's go at it right now, uh, like the world seems to be doing right now, and you come back with with the Sir Silverman, yeah, you know, type of response, which people don't expect, and I guess the hard the hard thing I think for people to in that moment yep. is to realize that they're they're in that moment. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. See, that's why I think it goes back to the, the I, I say it has to go back to like abiding in Christ. Like it's going to take uh, a genuine transformation. We have to ourselves uh, be going through this genuine transformation of our heart and our character, renewing our mind. We're not this other. So in other words, look, early on, you are not going to respond the way you wish you would. We all do this, right? I don't know how many times I've been in situations and I totally blow it. And then a few weeks later or a few days later, I'm talking to God. I'm like, oh God, I blew that. Man, yeah, you know what? I can see clearly now what I should have said was this. What I should have done was that. Oh, that would have been great. And then God, can I do it again? Can you like, can you set me up again? And this time, I, nope, the answer is always no. It's like, nope, but learn from that. Because there's going to be a similar thing down the road and then you'll have a chance to do it better next time, mm-hmm. right? Um, but so yeah, there's, there's always that whole thing about nonviolence. Here's the other thing about it. Like when we get into these, these, um, these imaginary situations, like, oh, so someone breaks in your house and he has a gun to your wife's head and what are you going to do? Like, um, those, first of all, those are imaginary situations. Second of all, um, there's a difference between what I will do and what I should do. Right. Right. I think I can we can talk a lot about, well, here's what I think someone following the teachings of Jesus should do. But put me in the actual situation or similar situation. Who knows what I'll do? Right. I might do something completely like later on, like I said, and I'll go, yeah, that was the wrong thing. I shouldn't have done that. So what I will do and what I should do might be not always the same thing. Yeah. I heard uh, Greg Boyd talk about that hypothetical and he just said, well, if if somebody breaks into your house and it's a complete stranger, it might be pretty easy to, to get in the way and to violently end the situation. Uh, but if you can imagine that person being a loved one yep. that was out of their mind or was struggling with drugs and alcohol, uh, was tripping out, came in in a rage, and you feared for you, yours and your family's safety... Would you try to handle it just a little bit differently right. than if it were a complete stranger? If this is somebody whose life you would preserve at all costs, that's your that's we're getting there when talking about loving our enemies. Yes. When you start to see people as actual brothers and sisters. That's right. Uh, yeah. In the craziest of circumstances. Yeah, but, but do you do you have a responsibility for those who let's say are in your charge? Right. Um, so yeah, you 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 don't know perfectly what they're going to do, but based upon their actions, uh, you have a reasonable idea about where that can lead. And so if, if and you, you might not have time to, you're going to react if you have sure. if you have the ability to protect because love. You talk. We talk. We're talking about love towards a specific person, but. What about the love towards the people that might end up being the victims or yeah. are likely sure. to be the victims? Sure. Um, there are a lot of stories of, I mean, recently the the church shooter 
Yeah. Um, I forget where, Mississippi or Tennessee or whatever, I forget. But the guy went in, shot people in the church. He's he's fleeing. A couple other people, a couple other people, a couple other persons. Persons, know, yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> um, they run to their trucks, grab their guns, right. and then shoot the guy. Right. So it's like, okay, uh, love, love for whom? Mm-hmm. At what point? When? Where? Right. Who, where? Where does the love for someone override the love for someone else? Yeah. When they have, when when you you can't control what they're doing, you don't know what they're going to do, but they've demonstrated that they are willing to yeah. do something that's going to violate someone yeah. else. So let me respond to that. That's a great. That's a great comment. Um, and the problem with with dealing with that from, a, I think, a, a nonviolent perspective is once the guy has the gun in his hand, cocked and loaded, pointed at someone's head, it's probably too late to talk about a nonviolent response. But the fact that there's a guy with a gun using a weapon in a violent way is the fruit of violent thinking. It's the fruit of, of, of using violence. It's not the fruit of nonviolent thinking. So in other words, uh, it's all sort of like you want to solve this, the problem, which is the fruit of using violence with nonviolence. And you actually, you know, we can't, we can't fault the nonviolent teaching and say, well, nonviolence failed. No, <laughs> violence failed because that, the, the, the end result of the, the thinking of using violence was that a guy's got a gun and he's shooting a bunch of people. Right. That's the fruit of violence. Now, the, the, the nonviolent response to that would be, let's back up the clock a few years, and the guy who is so broken that now he's got a gun, well, let's back up a few years, let's love this person, let's show compassion to this person. Now the love of Christ could transform this person so that he'll never reach a place that he feels the need to take a gun and kill somebody, right? So it's more of a, again, it's more of a preemptive thing of um, we want to prevent those moments from happening. Once someone has the, the, they have the gun in their hand, again, that's the fruit of using violence. That's not the fruit of thinking like Jesus. Um, there still could be a point. There still might be a way. Uh, maybe it's to put yourself, but you know, again, you're going to die. <laughs> you might, you, you, survival may not be, survival shouldn't be the goal. Uh, obedience is the goal. So I'm going to obey Jesus even if it kills me. So I may have put myself in the line of fire so that other people can escape, and I would probably die in the process. But um, so my 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 survival may not be part of the equation. Um, but yet, let's say even to the point of going all the way to like yeah, the person goes ahead and kills a bunch of people. Something tragic happens. Uh, one of the videos that we showed um, in Cincinnati was, uh, and you guys may have heard about this because this happened like maybe five or six years ago. There was a guy that went into uh, an Amish schoolhouse and uh, shot a bunch of girls, killed a bunch of girls in the schoolhouse, and then killed himself. And the Amish community, first of all, uh, that night, I mean, that, that few hours after that, uh, called the wife of the shooter, forgave her. Uh, they had a fund. They put aside money and raised money for the, for the, the children of the man that killed their daughters. Um, they called the, the mother. Uh, there's a beautiful video uh, uh, of the mother of the shooter. And she's giving a testimony about how she found out about it. She drives to the scene. Her husband is there. He says, it was our boy. Our boy did this. And she couldn't believe it. I can't believe our son did this. And she's devastated. And the the church wraps around her, loves her, forgives her. To this day, the mother of the woman that shot those kids, she's a caretaker for one of the girls that survived the shooting. 
and every every week is spending time helping this girl like her physical therapy and stuff because now so they created this beautiful community by responding to this horror it happened no one no one stopped it it was a horrible thing that happened mm-hmm. but the fruit of it was it still smells like Jesus at the end there's forgiveness there's healing right there's redemption out of it and everyone involved uh who's still alive uh is transformed by the love of Christ because of the way they responded in an I, amazing yeah, way yeah that's a and i yeah that's a beautiful story i yeah, shoot man that'd be tough <laughs> that'd be tough to do yeah what it seems it seems though that the a, a nonviolent attitude would need to be systemic worldwide <laughs> ie utopia mm-hmm. utopian type of no one is violent so you don't need to be violent um and sh- yeah but i think that's the end goal let's right? move towards that sure sure but we <laughs> living in a world a, a sinful world mm-hmm. um what what do we do when we encounter mm-hmm. a situation where we have the ability to protect, uh, let's say, innocence, whatever, sure. whatever that yep. word, yep. you know, yep. uh, broadly speaking? Um, we what what do we do? We stand by? No, no, let, absolutely let not. Them, so yes. we say, I'm willing to die yes. to show Jesus. Um, and you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to be willing to die to show Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll let you die. Go ahead, die. Yeah. So so here's an interesting. Uh, again, going back to studying early church history, right? So we have 300 years of church history, where Christians where there were people knocking on the door or breaking the door down, dragging people out in the street, um, putting them on trial, torturing them, and putting them to death. And in 300 years of church history, we have no examples of Christians protecting other believers with violence. They didn't protect one another from that inevitable, horrific death. Um, and so, and, and this is a hard thing to say or to point out, but Jesus never has any commands about us protecting innocence. Uh, now again, it's a human thing. Of course, we want to protect our children or the innocents from, from harm. And again, I would say that that can be done without violence. Uh, someone might die, and it might be me. In other words, there are things worth dying for, but not necessarily worth killing for. Um, and I, I do agree, like what you're saying, that this sort of idea of like, well, um, I, again, I think this is what Jesus had in mind. When Jesus talks about, uh, he talks about this mustard seed or this little bit of yeast that slowly, it looks so tiny, it looks so simple, and yet it'll eventually fill the whole lump, right? It covers the whole lump. I think that's what Jesus intends. He intends that we become, you were talking about this too, like we become these little agents of change, these little subversive little viruses that are out in the, in the, in the, king, in, in the world, in the kingdom of God, that are, that are infecting the, the world we live in. And the, I think Jesus' intention is that slowly we begin to change the temperature. We slowly begin to change the, make, the, the chemical makeup of the world. That eventually we do reach this tipping point where... Uh, people don't respond in violence. More people respond in this way. We're not there yet. We're, we haven't re- achieved it yet, but I think this is the intention. This is one of the ways the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of, of Christ overtakes the kingdom of the world, as we see in Revelation, that that's the inevitable thing that's going to happen. Um, and big, yes. p- big picture, uh, you can make an argument that that's the trajectory we're on. Yes. Like that's, I'm kind of hopeful on that. Yeah. 
the the world has never been less violent overall. Big yes. Picture. Yeah. Obviously, the media makes it seem otherwise. Yeah, but you wouldn't think so, but if you do the research, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I do think the renewal of all things and the renewal of the earth or the new heavens, new earth is it's this earth. Yes. Restored. It's not like this earth ends and then we we're given a brand new one. Right. It's, I think we're taking part in yes. that uh, drama. I if think you will. so too. I agree with you. That's what I, I, I think. That I'm hopeful you, for that. Scott. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. For I know. That. Okay. So pastorally yeah. speaking, yeah. so you're, you've been a pastor. Yeah. Um, you, well, let me rephrase that. You are a pastor. I guess. You have been and you still are. I guess so. I, to, I, I would to, like to qualify maybe later on what I mean by that, but yes. Someday a senior pastor. To, no, no, no. To, to, <laughs> never, to go full never, cycle. Never, ever. Get the full cycle pastor. there. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> but, um, and, and, and yeah, I get, I, I don't want to be violent. Sure. But, uh, but at the same time, are, do, do we as Christians w- instruct other believers to say and and even not other not even other believers instruct the world if someone is going to do violence towards someone else we do not intervene even if that means doing violence what do you mean so i, I wouldn't say we would instruct like the christians aren't telling the world follow jesus and do what jesus said because they're not they have not submitted themselves to be disciples of christ we have so well, we, you mentioned we Sarah would Silverman, ourselves, but you did, you mentioned the Sarah oh, no, I, that's thing. just an example yeah. of somebody who is putting it into practice, like better than we are. <laughs> I think, I think that, that kind of a story actually should make Christians embarrassed. Like here's someone who's not following Jesus, at least as far as we know, who's doing it better than we are. And we're the, we're supposed to be following the guy who told us to do exactly that. Like, so, um, so I, I think, yeah, we, we should do it ourselves. We should be doing, in other words, wars will be fought. Violence will be done, no doubt. I just think Christians need not be the ones doing it. We don't have to be the ones partaking in it. It will, of course, there's always going to be violence. There's always going to be uh, violent conflict and things like that. I just think that we have been given um, a command to break this cycle. Like, it's this, this cycle of uh, this back-and-forth violence, right? You know, this is how gang warfare gets started, right? Well, but but not but even it just even builds and builds and builds. Someone has though. to say, "I'm going to stop the cycle, and I'm going to respond with love and forgiveness and mercy and someone's grace," and that in, ends it. Someone's in your house, yep, with the trajectory of doing violence towards yes. one, your family who you are yep. in charge over. You I have, would put you myself between over. that person and their and that trajectory. So they're point A. Scott's an orthodoxy guy. And you're an B, orthopraxy guy. Yeah, point B well, is my wife. I, I, it would be I'm standing to be between them. And they're without going, orthodoxy, but and they're anyway. probably going. Well, here, but again, again, there's there's these there's all these. Um, look, in real life, in real life, if that happened, I promise you, the one thing I'm going to be doing is praying like I've never prayed in my life before. And look, sure. I pray for parking spaces at the mall, and I get them. See, I don't even so do that. So if I can pray for a parking space at the mall and get an answer, I better get an answer when there's a I'm guy more... in my house with a gun who wants to kill me and my whole family, and I say, Jesus, help me. Bro, I think he's going to help me. I'm more you gotta, nonviolent with parking or spaces. Or I'm going to die. I just go to the far parking space. <laughs> you got to teach Jeff and I how to pray. Okay, I'll, I'll, do, a, I'll do a little... I, just, uh, I go to the far parking space. Hey, I don't even want to deal with people. You know what? Grace to you already. Wait a second. Before it even starts. I pull into Costco and I get that front 
front spot. It's I'm beautiful. Like, yes, isn't it? people just pulling out right when I'm pulling right in. There. This is it's fantastic. The grace of God. It's, it's just like thing. I know I'm in line with God's That's will. Right. And Scott, oh. please. The the scenarios no. that you create. These Shut are real up, scenarios. Scott. These are Thank these you. are actual real scenarios where people have the ability. They're one and yeah. two billion. Yeah. Like of all, that's just. Do you, you disagree with scenarios? Okay, so okay, so the scenario, the scenario of you jumping in front of a bullet is more plausible. I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. It's it's if you. The if, thing is, we we okay so. We asked Keith, you know, where where are your beliefs? Where do you where do you sit and or where do you land? And he tells us and we have so we kinda have this concept of, you know, what someone believes and you know, there are these major things, but when it really comes down to it, a lot of what we um as believers, it ends up coming back to relationship, our relationship with, with Christ, our relationship with others, how we respond to um the world. And that, and so, bringing up these crazy scenarios—if someone was going to, you know, holding a gun here, and you had a gun and you could shoot them, and or, or you could step in between and 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 be in the middle of it praying or something like that—I mean, those scenarios. I mean, you're trying to define the, the moment for Keith and for yourself, or are you planning on going? to shoot some people that are believers <laughs> right. with you and you're like, so what are you guys going to do? I'm going to shoot Zach right now. Right. I'm going to shoot him. I'm what would you do? But, but you know, can I ask, can I say something? Here, here's, here's what I think is funny though. I mean, and, and I don't mean this in a, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to say this is where no, you're coming from. It, but, I'll but, just use it for whatever situation <laughs> going Shut forward. up, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I like to use other people's standards. So, so go ahead. So, okay. So it's like, this is how it sounds to me sometimes, right? Because it's not just you. I hear this all the time from people when I say these things. For years, 10 years I've been saying this, and I get these kinds of reactions like, well, what if? So, so I say, look, Jesus said, don't respond to an evil person with violence. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Uh, and when you do that, by the way, he says, you're being like your father in heaven who lets it rain on the just and the unjust. So when you do this, you will be a child of your father when you behave in this way, because this is what God is like, and that's why you should be this way. So this is the, this is the basis that Jesus says this. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, after all these amazing teachings that he gives, um, and, and including the, the wise man built his house upon the rock, right? And the one who heard my words and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his, built his house on the rock and the, and the storms came and his house stood firm. And the one that hears my words, they both heard his words. And the one that heard his words but didn't put his words into practice is the, is the man who built his house on the sand and the storms came and the rains came and the house fell and was destroyed, completely, utterly destroyed. And at the end of, the, of that entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this statement. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I say. And so if that is the context by which Jesus makes this statement, makes this audacious, crazy claim that I'm supposed to respond with love to violence and evil, whoa, okay, wow, and he paints this amazing picture, and he ends it by saying, don't call me Lord if you don't do the things I say. If our response is, but wait a minute, what if there was a situation where I didn't have to obey Jesus? What if this crazy thing, and this happened, and this happened, and that happened, um, would I have to obey Jesus now? That's what it feels like. It feels like... Should we ever the, lie? It feels like, Should we ever tell a lie? It feels like the Ten Commandments. Well, like, no, that's what I'm saying it's like well, should we ever tell a lie should no ever lie? I, yeah i know where you're going with it it's I know, like but the gestapo you, knocks on the door and says yeah, do you have any oh, jews exactly. and then should, so should what do i lie? so should i lie jesus said the liars yeah. they will not inherit the kingdom of god right so should you ever lie 
so like where so if you're if you're going to make saying, this claim if you're not going to follow Jesus words yeah well we're we we are we are all in that same boat right. of are we going to follow Jesus words and I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I completely agree in an agree. interesting so way Keith I, already answered the question in that he he said what I should do and what I will do, do are two but different no, things. Yeah. And, and, and who knows? I'm, and I'm asking, yeah. I am still on the shoulds. Yes. What should we do? Yeah. I don't know what I would do. I'm, I'm afraid of a lot of situations where yeah. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. But the shoulds right. are easier to no. me. No, they're not. No, because we're <laughs> no, talking because, about because shoulds. I'm not, there's no, I'm no skin in the game. I have no shoulds. skin in the game. It's not really happening to me. My but, wife won't die depending on how I answer the should. I know, but we're still talking about shoulds. But I won't lie to another believer. In, That's a good idea. Yeah, but okay. Well, if you but if you, you've already promised to keep someone else's secret, you, you, you might you you might change the subject. You might think about it. There are other creative right. ways. I think. See, right. this is the, this is what I'm so saying. I think there are creative ways. And again, I think there's examples of this if you if you look at it. And 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 I've looked at it. There are, there are lots of amazing examples of people who have been in very similar situations to that scenario. Someone breaks in your house. They have a gun to your head. They're going to kill you. Blah blah blah. And then. The, the people will respond in these crazy different ways that you would never expect. Like in a should situation, you would never say, uh, I would just start singing worship songs nonstop until they finally got freaked out and ran out of the house. But that's actually happened. I've heard that. That's one. really happened. Sure. So, I mean, those kinds of moments where like it's, it's, it's um, in that moment, I don't know what I will do, but what I hope would happen is I would, I would, I would in that moment, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm in need. I would say, Jesus, please help me. Please give me some idea. And would, and he would he would allow me to come up with something that in that moment, like right now, I don't know what I would tell you, but if I'm in that moment, God might tell me to do something that it sounds like that's a stupid thing. Here's one example. This is a real example. Um, this was on NPR. There was a, a, people in Not New York City. trustworthy. People in New York City, true story though, people in New York City having a wine party and uh, at night and it's a beautiful night and a guy came in opened the back gate with a gun and a hoodie and all that stuff. And he's like, you know, give me your, give me your cash and your valuables. No one had any cash on them. And they're like, they, they like, they don't know what to do. And he's getting really mad. Like I'm, I'm going to effing kill you right now. I'm not kidding. I'm not messing around. And they're all like, they have no idea what to do. And at first they're like trying to say things like, well, what would your mom think of you? I don't have an effing mom. What do you give, give me your money? And what'd you say about my mama? Yeah. He's like, they're just, they're escalating it. He's not backing down and they're freaking out. They don't know what to do. And then, then one of the women gets quiet and they're like tense. And one of the women says, well, we had this really great wine. Why don't you have a glass of wine? <laughs> that is rad. And he, they pour him a glass and he drinks and he goes, wow, that really is good. And they go, they will have some more. And they pour him a glass of wine and he drinks it again. And he sits down, he puts his gun in his pocket and they all sit down and he just starts talking to them. And this is crazy, dude. And after they talk for a little bit, he says, can I have a hug? And they stand up. And they give him a hug. And then he goes, can we do like a big group hug? Would that be okay? And they do this big, they're like, this is stupid. What are we doing? This is a goofy thing. Then but he they all, them all. But they all give each other, they do this big group hug thing. And he goes, oh, thank you guys. And he walks out. Dude, and, Scott, hold on, Scott. I think you need a hug. <laughs> I never need a hug. So I'm saying like, anyway. that would never be a should situation. But in what? that moment, somebody had the thought, let's Let's bless this guy. Let's so I, just, here's here's a glass of wine. And I agree, I I agree with great. you. I agree with I you that great. you don't know what you're going to do until the moment arrives. Right, right. And being present. Yeah. Being present. And uh, I'm maybe you don't ask yourself what would Jesus do, but there's just that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in that moment, but you don't know. So Scott, while the questions you can ask all day long or anybody can, we really don't know. 
um, until the moment arrives. Because who would have no, said? Well, who would have said? Could we offer you a glass have, of have wine? Have a glass of wine. Exactly. Right. I, I agree. That I got. We, I got one question for Scott, do. and then we're moving on. We got to <laughs> talk about his book, which m- might bring us back here. Who knows? Oh, his book is going to be another hour. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. I have a book. Um, Scott, yes or no? Should you follow Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount? What, uh, what, what is the part? I don't, I'm not. I, should you follow it. Jesus? Oh, teaching? Okay, sure. Follow? Okay, sure. Okay. Okay. There you go. There's so the should. Is there a specific like? Uh, no, that's the should. You mentioned no, we're you, good. you wanted no, okay. to know what the should was. See, Zach. Zach is the pejorative, like general, <laughs> uh, like. All right, that proves it. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Well, I'm trying to find a trans. You did mention the should part was hard for you, and I think that's. It's relatively the no. I said the wood. The wood part is hard. It, the wood part is oh, hard. What would we're, you do for sure? Yeah, yeah the, we're discussing the shoulds. Is what yeah. I th- I thought we were discussing the shoulds. I'm not sure what I would do. Well, as Christ as Christ followers, we all should agree on the should, right? On the sermon. No, on the Mount? we agree. We no? d- we can disagree lovingly. Okay. Well, then some of us aren't following Christ. Well, I I'm well, here. I'm, Scott? I'm loving. <laughs> all right. Um. Your book. The first one was, or the first published one was Jesus Untangled, yep. which was about politics. Yeah, it was cruci- the subtitle was Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. Yeah. And that was about, um, again, El- started from my own... Yeah, elevator pitch. Yeah. Go for um, it. That some Christians are more American than Christian, and you can't convert a system if that system's already converted you. And uh, I realized myself that I was more American than I was Christian, and, and my own back and out of that, realizing that I was that way and that I needed to be more following, more about following Jesus than wrapped up in politics and nationalism and this stuff like that. Uh, I started realizing I'm not the only one <laughs> that was, that was that way. My parents and my good friends and uh, people I went to church with and stuff. And so, uh, again, I blogged about that and got feedback on that and realized, I think I need to write a book about this topic. So, uh, yeah, I wrote that book last, came out last year on inauguration date, January 20th, last year. Go uh, Trump. Yeah. Uh, right, Jeff. Well, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. What was that? That's that a, that's a, oh my gosh. Is, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know ha- Scott's hand signals right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, so now Jesus Unbound. Mm-hmm. And the subtitle of that? Uh, the subtitle of Jesus Unbound is Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. And the idea of that one is that, again, just the, the age old thing. Um, I don't think this is controversial. But when I post things like this. You'd be surprised. Uh, yeah, when I say the Word of God. <laughs> Careful. It's not a book. It's a person. Uh, you know, I, well, I get both reactions. I get people going, amen, that's right, of course. And then I get reactions like, whoa, what are you saying? You're down, you know, you're downgrading the Bible. I'm like, no, look, to, to elevate Christ above the Bible is not a, having a low view of the Bible. It's having a high view of Christ. I have a very high view of the Bible. Or a proper view of Christ. I, I, I think I would say, thank you. <laughs> thank you for How saying it that way. Him, <laughs> I would say a proper view of Christ. That's, you know, of course. the. I know what you're saying. Yeah. You're, so that's where that's yeah. why I wrote the book. Yeah, just trying to clarify. I think for some Christians, um, it's it, the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, and and they're not kidding. I mean, I think some people it's subconscious; they don't even realize they're doing it. That's what it was for me. Yeah, it was after the fact where I was like, "Oh my God, my I I had invited the Bible into my heart." Yes. Oh, you but know, at the time I didn't realize it. Yeah, at yeah. All. When I started noticing it was um, it's actually during the time I was a little before I was writing Jesus Un- Untangled which was going to, you know, be t- touch on politics and, and stuff. And um, there's, oh gosh, I can't believe I'm going to say this guy's name. There's a guy named David Barton. Uh, some of you may know who he is. Should I bleep it, the name out? Um, 
it may be better for everyone. Talk about safety. Don't don't Google this guy. If you don't know who he is already, God bless you. You're better off. Don't go there. But anyway, my father-in-law. Instantly, <laughs> we'll, we'll people are typing. Yeah, my father-in-law really loves this David Barton guy and bought me, and I have at home like a 15 DVD box set collection of everything this guy's ever done. He was trying to fix you. Uh, yes, I think he was. Uh, yeah, you know, actually, I think he was. Um, and so one of the things Barton does, he's sort of a pseudo historian. He's not a historian. He sells himself as an historian. He he's not a historian. Everything he tells you is mostly BS. But um, so, but it's very nationalistic. It's very much the, you know we're America's a Christian nation. Blah blah blah. Which did, I don't, did he write the Je- like a bio- Jefferson? Jefferson. It's called the Jefferson Lies. Oh, okay. and it is they are lies actually. Oh, and a guy okay. wrote a there's a there's an excellent book rebutting his book. You can read that okay. book, and it's really good too. So Anyway, so so watching one of these DVDs, I was sort of trapped into watching this with my father-in-law, and he's showing me this, and I'm like rolling my eyes the whole time, like, okay, whatever. But so here's what, here's what I realized. Barton's solution to America's problem wasn't the gospel. It wasn't Jesus. His solution, and this is his solution to everything he comes back to, is we need to get back to the Bible. We need to get the Bible back in schools. We need to become a more biblical nation. If we, if we get back to the Bible, America needs to get back to the Bible. I'm thinking, no. America needs to get back to the gospel. Like why? It's like, it's like you, you just missed it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like if you'd said the gospel, if you'd said Jesus, I'd say, yes, exactly. You're right. Let's all get back. Like I disagree with all the other crap you said, but if you at least had ended in saying, and now what we need to do is to preach the gospel and get people to follow Jesus, I'd be like, yes, okay, that I can agree with. But he didn't mention Jesus. He didn't mention the gospel. It was the Bible. Which, and people would say, and Scott and I have gone back and forth. And like, I'm right. thinking it right now. How <laughs> how do we know what the gospel is if we don't hear it from the Bible? Well, how do, well yes. yeah. How do you so? Yeah, where where's that separation? How are you on time, um, by the way? I'm good. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. I have we nowhere can't to go. go. Very much longer for my my family and I's sake, but okay, keep going. Yeah, you let us know when yeah, you're the man in the house, Zach. Okay. Um, am I? Well, according to Jeff, you're not, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, no, but yeah, it, it's so. Yeah, Jesus is more important. Like everything mm-hmm. is pointing to Jesus. Sure, yes, that's the thesis. But that I where, where is that that separation of if he says getting back to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Is he which Jesus is he talking about? Is mm-hmm. he talking about the Mormon Jesus, the Jehovah's Witness Jesus, the Catholic Jesus? Scott, I um, love how you act like you're somebody else because this is not what you are thinking. It's not what you. I always try you to separate, act like you're somebody else I, I always, with this thought. I always try to separate myself from the argument because because you're going to come back and say, "Well, obviously it was it was the Christian Jesus." I'm just, you know. Well, we well, know that well, that's well, what well, we know that's what Barton means. I know, but but, but your point is, well, so we, but, how would we how would we know which Jesus? Right. Well, yeah, it, it, we might assume that, sure. Right. But but um, if he's saying. Uh, getting back to the Bible is th- there's not something Bart- Barton's not saying we, g- we need to get back to the Bible apart from Jesus. That's, I mean, that's not what he means. Yeah, but but so here's here's the distinction that I that I point out in the book. Um, and again, it's a subtle distinction, but I I'm starting to figure out that for some people this is a really big distinction. It's it's not subtle at all. Um, like well, it's subtle. If real quick, it's subtle in that if you're firing an arrow. Yep. And you're just off just a fraction at at the start. It's yes. very subtle. 
That's right. But eventually you are you are exponentially apart from where right. you should be. Right. And, and and also I've heard this example as well used like in a, in a nautical sense, right? If you're in a ship and you're plotting a course and you're off by a degree or two degrees on your on your course, you're going to end up on another continent, right? Yeah. Like it's the same idea. Like yeah. you're off by a couple of degrees, you think that's oh, generally the same idea, but man, you end up somewhere else. Right. So for me... There's a difference between being biblical and being Christian or Christ-like. I should say Christ-like. Um, so, so in other words, again, I hear people all the time, not just Barton. I hear Christians all the time talking about we need a more biblical world. We need to get back to the Bible and be biblical, biblical, biblical. Live biblically, think biblically, vote biblically, whatever. It's just biblical-based, whatever. Um, the, and I don't want a biblical-based anything. I want a Christ-like-based world and, and, and experience. Because if I'm using the Bible, I can use the Bible to justify polygamy, genocide, war, um, you know, uh, slavery. slavery, all kinds of horrible things. I don't want that. I want a Christ-like view. And I believe there's a difference. And so I think this is, this is one of the, the critical things that I think we as Christians sometimes have missed, um, is this radical thing that Jesus makes this huge difference. Like we can't look at the world and we can't look at scripture as if Jesus never showed up, as if Jesus never came. Um, that I think what you see Jesus saying, and I think what you see uh, the apostles saying in the New Testament is that Jesus creates this radical shift that, you know, Paul said, well, Jesus says it himself, right? Uh, the gospel of John says it, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then John says something I think crazy, crazy, uh, like if we really thought about what he's saying, uh, and I've tried to do this in the book, is to unpack what he's saying. Jesus makes this statement. No man has ever seen God at any time except Jesus, who came to reveal him to us. That's a radical statement. It's, and I think that is exactly what we are meant to take away, is that the ideas of God that we had before Jesus were not clear. This is what Paul means uh, when he says that, you know, he says, to this day when we read the Old Covenant scriptures, a veil covers our eyes. And only in Christ is the veil removed. Meaning only by first knowing Christ can we then clearly understand who God is and what God is like. Uh, someone just this week shared a verse, um, 2 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, where Paul talks about how the God of this age has blinded the eyes of, of the world that they cannot clearly see the light of the gospel as revealed in the image of Christ. And this idea, if you, if you unpack that whole scripture, the, it's the idea that uh, what we're blinded about is not understanding that Christ is the image of God. That, as it says in Hebrews, right, in the past, God spoke to us through prophets and, and all these other people. That was great. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he is the exact representation of the Father. And so over and over and over again, we get these statements over and over and over again. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is what God looks like. And I think we have to, that's why I think it's important to start with Jesus. We start with Jesus. We know him. We abide in him. He abides in us. We're connected to him. We have a, the life of Christ in us. And now, now we can, I think, uh, that veil's removed and we can properly understand who God is and what God is like, and he looks like Jesus. And uh, that's what one of the major things Jesus came to reveal to us, who the Father really and was. I say amen to all of that. Okay. See, you were, you were just preaching, so I Sorry, know, yeah. you said so, you're sort of a preacher. So you were when, just preaching. Yeah, so 
What's wrong with the Bible? I didn't, I didn't get it. I there's nothing. It. No, there's nothing wrong with the Bible. The, the, what's wrong with the Bible, though, is when... So, so I, I, t- I touch on this in Jesus' So all that's in the Bible. So I'm just... Yeah, yeah. Where, what's so, wrong with the Bible? Yeah, so I touch so on this. So forget what people say, and I, I say this a lot. Yeah. I say, forget what people say. Right. Who cares what people say? Right. What is... What, what do we do with what has been revealed to us? Because that is But people how, wrote the Bible. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, okay. <laughs> people, people wrote everything that... That Keith just described, people right. wrote it. Yeah, let's throw it out. No, that, that's not out. what you're saying, right? No. Okay. No. So, so what are no, we? Ta- yeah. So, what are we talking about when, when, when we, when we want to talk about the truth of Jesus, and then that that entails a broader context of not just uh, the Gospels or what Paul wrote about Jesus, but there's a there's a whole broader context. So, forget what what people say. These yeah. modern preachers. People who misrepresent, people who abuse grace, who abuse mm-hmm. the teaching of Jesus. Forget what they say. We, we, we need the context of what God has revealed to us. And that, I mean, that, that is in, inscripturated for us by yep. the grace of God. I mean, that's what we have. That's, all, that's mm-hmm. what we have to go on. Because, right? I mean, it's how, a, what, do we, what do we do with, yeah. what do we do without that? How, how, how would we come to, to the knowledge of truth? Right. Without that, so right. well, so that's a great right question. Where do we great go? question, Scott. That's great a great question. question. Where do we Keith? go? That is a great question, and 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 one thing to think about in answering that question is because see today, that question the answer will be well everyone has a Bible or ten in their house right everyone's got a Bible, but for the first four maybe even more than that you know four hundred years of church history before the church the Bible was canonized probably another what, 12, 1300 years before it was translated into the common language that uh, the, the common man could even read it or understand it if they could read. So, so for hundreds, close to thousand years, how did anyone know that God loves them? It wasn't because the Bible told them so, because they didn't have a Bible. So no, what so was you it? Gotta, you gotta, you gotta they define, had the gospel. You have to define what... They had the gospel. You can't just say they didn't have the Bible. I did, they didn't. I, I know, but... but he did. Well, they did. They did. They, they had the scriptures. Yeah, so they had you, someone I who think, could read the scriptures to them and teach the scriptures to them. And no one owned a Bible the way we do. Well, sure, sure, but they had the scriptures. They yeah. had the scriptures. In an interesting way, Scott, your your initial question about the how do how do we know about these things? You're like, how do we know which Jesus? Yeah, which Jesus was your question? Sure. Um, which because because which Jesus many Jesus can be broad, but I think. That's closer, like acting like Jesus, people have a more general idea that's closer to, it hits closer to home than biblical. Like, yeah. I just want to go by biblical what, principles. What is biblical is very, what is biblical is very much broader than what is Jesus. People generally will have a general idea what you mean by following Christ. What is biblical can mean a all lot kinds more. Of stuff. Yeah, all kinds that's, of stuff. That's, that's, that's where it gets weird. Probably and that's not but to demean the Bible. No. Like, I, I don't get the sense at all that you're saying we need to throw our Bible. Absolutely down. not. No, look. Look, guys. Look at that. I love the Bible. We're going to take it, a picture with that. It. Remind me. Yeah. I'm still getting a picture. Well, yeah. well, I love the Bible. But, but, but listen, so in Jesus Untangled, my previous book, uh, I think chapter two of the book, uh, I unpacked, basically there's just different perspectives, Okay. And so you might have a different perspective on scripture than I do. And depending on your perspective, it's going to change your trajectory, right? You're only going to see, you're going to see things a certain way based on your assumption or your, your position. And so, um, 
I take a what I call a Jesus-centric position, which I just described to you, which is the idea that we start with Jesus and we read through the lens of Christ all of Scripture. And so uh, I, think this, I think what's happening in the Mount of, the, of Transfiguration is a beautiful um, object lesson for us today of how we should approach the Scriptures. Because it's not an accident that Moses and Elijah are standing on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. This is a lesson for us. Moses, who is Moses? He is he stands for the law. Who is Elijah? He stands for the prophets. So here's the law and the prophets and Jesus. And Peter does what I think we do, and it's a mistake. We say, oh, the law, the prophets, and Jesus, let's, all, let's build a tabernacle for all three of them. Let's keep them all on an equal flat plane. All three of them are... Our uh, authority. All three of them are, are the same. But the father says, nope, he removes Moses. He removes Elijah. He leaves only Jesus. And he says, this is my son. Listen to him. So I think that's a good lesson for us to say, let's start with Jesus. Let's listen to Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. That there are, then, if, then if we start with Jesus, then we're going to look at those scriptures, the biblical view differently. So uh, the other view, the, the, the opposing or the, 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 uh, one of the other major ways to look at it would be what's called a flat Bible perspective. And in a flat Bible perspective, which I had most of my life, Moses is just as authoritative as Jesus. Isaiah is just as authoritative, like it's flat. They're all equal, equally authoritative. Now what you do then is, if you have the flat Bible perspective, when there's tension, and this has just been my experience, what I've, what I've noticed with people, with Christians who have a flat Bible perspective, it's not really flat. Because especially on the issue of nonviolence, they'll appeal to nonviolent scriptures in the Old Testament or to David or to Moses or Joshua and things like that. And look, God commanded violence. God's okay with violence. Redemptive violence is, is part of God's plan. Uh, and then, so what ends up happening is Jesus' commands on the Sermon on the Mount about nonviolence gets sort of, um, you know, overridden by, well, what about this over here? So uh, if, the tie, if there's a tie or a tension, unfortunately, the Old Testament tends to break the tie. And I would say that's wrong. Jesus should break the tie. Jesus should always break the tie. Jesus is the one that we should listen to. And so if there's tension between, well, what about this and what about that? Well, we're going to listen to Jesus. Who are we following? Christ. Uh, you know, who, who is the one, only one whose life is in is Christ. Uh, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So uh, I would I argue for more of a Jesus-centered perspective rather than a flat Bible perspective. And that's what you meant by don't let's not get back to the Bible. Let's right. get back to Christ. Let's go. Let's start with Jesus. Right. Exactly. Now, can I? So when we they say okay, we we they didn't have the Bible like we have it today. Right. Okay. For a long time. Sure. Historically speaking. Every, yeah, sure. They 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 had they had the Old Testament scriptures. What about what he just said, though? That was great. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I, I, I agree with I agree with most of that, except except the the tension aspects. Um, I I would go with the fulfillment aspect, the okay. the, the fulfillment clause sure. of of the Old Testament. Not not that he's coming to abolish the law, but he's coming to fulfill. So, right, I agree so, with that. So, and he did. So any he tension would be people misrepresenting. Sure. Uh, the scripture. So that's why I would go back to the initial. Forget about what people say. We got to go. We, what What does scripture? What What are we taught in scripture? So can what, I just how, ask how you a revealed? quick question on that? Because Because if you depending on how you answer that, we may be on the same page. So I agree with you. What Jesus fulfilled? <laughs> Jesus came not to abolish, but to fulfill uh, the scriptures. And so, therefore, this is how what I would say. 
Jesus did fulfill those old, old covenant scriptures, and now those are off the table. That's going back to, again. It's not flat anymore. Depends on what you mean by off the so table. So Christ is now our our standard. Christ is who we are following, not those old covenant scriptures which have now been fulfilled and which Paul says are fading and vanishing, and Hebrews says are obsolete. Well, they they are they well depend so depends on what you mean by off the table. But there I are, mean, they're not binding on me today so, as a follower okay, of Jesus. So where where they are reiterated in the New Testament, post-resurrection, mm-hmm. by the apostles who are given authority for the church, um, so where those things are reiterated, I would say that, okay, but okay. There, there are things that are reiterated based upon Old Testament law that you it's hard it's hard to say that those things hmm. are abolished because they're reiterated in the new testament do you do you have any specific examples um there there are there are many um there uh so there there are the the things about um sexual immorality there are things about uh Id- eating things sacrificed to idols if you, if you know about them uh but but, but I, there, even there are on many, that there are yeah. many examples there are many examples that have their root have their foundation in the Old Testament. So to the extent that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, I don't think that I don't think that the morality that God has laid out in the Old Testament is abolished. So there are I, still things yeah. that are sins against God. There are things that are abominations. There are things that, that says that if we practice such things, then we are we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. All those things have root, have foundation in the Old Testament. Yeah, they do, but I I still think that most of the time, if you go and look at those passages, that actually the argument is usually made that it's because of Christ. It's the love of Christ that compels us. It's the example of Christ that, in other words, like we are we are following the law of Christ, right? We are fulfilling the but law of also, Christ. But that is also so. If we're loving God and loving our neighbors ourselves and loving one another as Jesus loved us. That's why we don't do those things. But but the I, love, and I think that the oh, I think the apostles appeal more to Christ than they appeal back to Old Testament law. But isn't, for those isn't things. the love isn't the love of Christ that's still foundational in in the Old Testament? That the grace of God, um, the loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor is not a New Testament idea. Right, right, right. That is right. grounded in the Old Testament. So right. okay, hey, throw it out. Right, it's it's abolished. Yeah. I, no, I, I don't. That that that's not the proper hermeneutic. No, Christ's love takes over, and right. you end up loving your neighbor well, that's no, regardless but, but, of what the. But that's but that's yeah. my point. My my Thank point is you, that Jeff. the foundation is still in the Old Testament. So we're not saying that all of the Old Testament is abolished in the fulfillment of Christ. There there are there are aspects of it that are fulfilled by Christ, Na- yeah. I, namely like the most important parts are the the sacrifices and the requirement for blood for the remission of sins that Christ fulfills but the other the other aspects of of grace like being justified by faith that's not that's not a new testament idea that goes back to the old testament god, god having grace on you not remembering right. your sins mm-hmm. that goes back to the old testament so we're not we're I, I i i don't think we're saying everything in the old testament is abolished there there are some things that are that Christ because Christ No i think it's just them. saying Christ is a priority yeah, well, no, but, starting but, with Christ. But, but, yes, but, but start with. It him. sounds like you're building to Christ, and we're we're and we're starting with him. Okay, you're reading Christ through the Old Testament. Well, I know, but, but how do you? I know, but but if but 
There's book smarts. Without the Old Testament, the, without the Old Testament, Jesus. So I, I agree. I, I, I agree. agree. Jesus is preeminent. I, I absolutely agree with that. Oh, thank God. The, <laughs> I, I I'm glad agree. we settled that. No, there's I, book I, smarts and there's street smarts, and you're book smart. You're talking about book smarts, and that's that's knowing the Bible. Street smarts is the Holy Spirit, yeah. and that's listening. Keith to is God. from the streets, yo. Keith, yo, I'm keeping it real down. Nonviolently, yeah, figuratively, <laughs> yeah. nonviolent, spiritual. No, no, but but even but he, no, but he, even then. Um, <laughs> Je- Jesus doesn't appear in a vacuum. He he is the fulfillment. Right. Yes, of course. I, I think it's a misunderstanding. He's the fulfillment of the of now something we have found. No, but but yeah. but even but I, I I agree that he's preeminent. Yeah. But you can't. I don't. I don't think we can say now that he's fulfilled fulfilled it. We I don't know what we. We're not we, burning we the Bible. We're not burning it. We're, it's, what, it's what still do we valuable. Do? Yeah. He, that is the but it's foundation. Not our guide. Christ. So I got is a question, guide. or I, actually a comment. It's, it's still the foundation for the morality th- that we. I have. disagree. I think the for I think the foundation for morality for Christians is the Sermon on the Mount. And so, and so another not another another aspect is when you you say that that when uh, referring the the scriptures that they refer to in the new, the New Testament authors, it's not the Bible that we have today. So sure, but when when you when you're going to refer to being Christ-like, that are that is codified in things that are post-scripture, as the as the New Testament authors would know them. Those things are in, codified in post-scripture. So it's, what it's, do you mean post-scripture? I don't know well, well, and well, I mean, no, I don't know. You you brought you brought that up that it's not the Bible. Whatever they refer to as as scripture is not the Bible that we know it today. So they're they're referring so Christ following Christ who necessarily Christ, who Christ necessarily. is I'm just saying there's yeah that's who, who Christ is that 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 is a post scripture world from what you said um, uh, so it, it's just it's difficult well, no, I mean, it's difficult to to where where do we how do how do we wrap our heads I think around we're talking past each other God a little bit a little revealed. bit yeah, I think so because so the it's it's basically what is the Bible there's that Rob Bell book right there. Yes. What is no the, one should ever read that. I what love is the, that book. It's great. You read might actually book. learn something. Read it. Go ahead, read it. <laughs> it's post-scriptural. It's really good. Uh, <laughs> if, if the Bible is, when you're talking about the flat reading of Scripture, right. it's kind of what I'm going to do to this podcast in that I'm going to apply compression to yeah. it because at the beginning, people generally talk a little quieter before they're warmed up. Before and they as they get more animated. As we're more eyes. animated. So in order to make <laughs> the sound quality level, it's going to bring the lows up. And bring the highs down, mm-hmm. and I, my opinion is that that's kind. Of, if you have that view of scripture, that's kind of what you're doing because the best things, the most radical things about Jesus have to be. Yeah, yeah. we like them, but they we kind of lower them a little bit. You kind of take the teeth out of it, and you tame it that? down so who, much who now that the it's, people. So I believe. Are you saying me? Or I, what, I, what? In my opinion. You are amongst this in sometimes. Which in which way? <laughs> I, that I that I diminish the teaching of script of, of Jesus. What are, what are you talking about? Uh, you don't allow the. So let me just finish my thought. Okay. It certainly sometimes it's you. Um, people will, will take so there's some crazy passages about God's love mm-hmm. that can't mean what they, what seem, they seem to mean. To say yes, yeah. Because 
well, we have aspects of God being vengeful and being jealous and keeping track of things. And, and which we is ha- Old Testament. Wh- which is Old Testament. Well, no, that's not in the and New Testament. There, is, there, there are some passages. <laughs> There's that, a couple. Yeah. There, it's in the New Testament. So some, apply that but, to, apply that no, to how on, you're doing those New well, Testament let finish, passages. Let him finish his thought. And that's all I'm saying is that, and you've literally said, no, in Corinthians, God is, or I say God is patient, God is kind. Right, right, right. But that's how love. I think of it. But it is. Love it's is patient, about, yeah. love is kind. And when Scott and I were having this discussion slash argument, almost a brawl. <laughs> argument. Um, <laughs> that it was basically, no, that's not talking about God. That's what we are to do. Love because keeps the record it, of wrongs. Because it can't be talking about God because God is keeping record of wrongs. And but it, what, about, what about when it says God was in Christ? Reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. Right. I would say that yeah. if that supports the idea it's, that it's very beautiful. It my, is him. My point is not this. We we could. There's so many things we could I, go. I know. It's a I whole, know, but it's but a whole ball of wax. But if right. you're going to make that point, what what about the passages that talk about uh, wrath being stored up against those who are enemies of God? So. It, so if you if you're gonna if you're gonna attribute to me I'm just that saying, I'm neutering scripture, which w- you do often, you have to neuter that you have you have to neuter that. You have to you have to attribute that to yourself as well when when you're not gonna uh equally equally consider those passages that talk neuter about me in this. <laughs> you're not gonna e- equally consider those passages that talk about God storing up wrath or the ju- or judgment no, that know. Jesus I, talks and about. That's what I'm talking so about. You I have, freely you have to I do that to yourself as well. I am a cherry picker. I'm totally admitting. And yeah. I, I, I'm saying my opinion is that we're, we're flattening the best aspects of God and the most radical nature of, of, God's, of God's nature if, if all the Bible is equally, has equal authoritative, like whatever those words are, it's, it's all equally authoritative, right. Old and New Testament. And I'm saying, no, I think maybe Keith, you, you might agree Picking and choosing, yeah. we're, we're going to cherry pick well, yeah. God's nature in Christ. If you want to call it that, yeah, in a way, what what to not have a flat Bible perspective, but to have a Jesus-centered perspective is to say, essentially, you could say, we're cherry picking the Jesus stuff, and we're starting with the Jesus stuff. This is the best stuff. This we're is, planting those Jesus seeds no, no, yes. in the ground, okay, so, and we're no, going to stand no. by, and we're going to say that the Jesus stuff... Jesus cherry tree is going to grow. Yeah, this this is the closest picture of who God is and what God is like and God's character and God's heart, and it's it's revealed in Jesus. And no one ever knew it until He came. Well, no, I I agree with I agree right. with that. But yeah. but unless unless we have an idea of the Old Testament as being authoritative. It's, it was authoritative for okay, them, no, okay, not so, for us today. No, that's, that, okay, good, good, and that's it. that's a distinction yeah. that I want people to make. Yes, yeah, Scott, Be, we're all here. We yeah, can hear you. That, that's it. <laughs> well, I, 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 that's a distinction I want people to make because yeah. because people aren't when when people talk about the authority of of scripture, they're not saying that the Old Test for, for the Lord for the most part. You'd be surprised. There, there well, are, there's a minority. You might it's, not be. It's but a minority, I met them and they it's do. A mi- it's a minority. I hope so. God, it's I a minority. But but I for people so. for people that that are taking the old well first of all there's a question okay so you just mentioned that it was authoritative so that's a def, that's a definition that keep I, in mind we're starting to land no we're going <laughs> we're we're taking off baby <laughs> we just we're hit going the to Mars baby wow here we go SpaceX SpaceX we're not crashing though shut up Scott. Tesla going up uh huh um but 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 if but if um what what whatever statements you make about about Jesus and in in reference to the Old Testament, 
you have to talk about I well let me rephrase that you should talk about new the the Old Testament in its proper context how the New Testament authors saw it most people you agree with that yes Yes, because I don't think but I don't think you and I agree on how like Paul treated the old covenant scriptures like I'm looking right now uh, and those those of you reading along at home I would encourage you to read Galatians (laughs) chapter 4 starting in verse 21 and this is only one of two places that Paul does this where Paul he gives this idea he says okay um, these things he says must be taken figuratively for the women meaning Sarah and Hagar uh, represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. That's Hagar. And Hagar stands from Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. He's tying it also to the Jews in Jerusalem. Um, and then he says, because she is in slavery with her children, and this is under the old covenant. This is his whole point. But the Jerusalem that is from above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, and he quotes uh, the passage here, and he says, now you brothers like Isaac are children of the promise because we are of the, the, other, the other wife, Sarah. We're, from, we're born from above. This is the new covenant. He's, he's talking about two different covenants. And then he says, um, at, the, at that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit, which was happening. The Jews were persecuting the Christians. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the other free woman's son, who is who? Christ. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, old covenant, but of the free woman, new covenant. And so Paul, this is just one place, there's another place he does a very similar thing where he paints this picture of old covenant, slaves, not our mother, death, all these things, and then new covenant, Christ, life, grace, freedom, and get rid of the old covenant. That's what he's saying. The old covenant is Hagar. What does he say about the slave, the, the woman, uh, the slave woman? Get rid of her. So I think Paul is way more critical of the old covenant scriptures than we think he is. This is only one of two. There's twice he says this. So uh, I think actually, and I talk about this in Jesus Unbound, uh, so plug my book. So I do talk about this in the book where I think there's just places where I did, certainly. I just read over, I glossed over those things. I didn't see, I didn't notice this. But I think if you go back and read it, again, Galatians chapter 4, starting verse 21, uh, I think Paul is way more critical of the old covenant and the and that old covenant way. You know, again, that that way brought death. Life came through Christ, but but isn't that isn't isn't he referring to the the law? Like, well, he says like, covenant. He says there are two covenants, which is a covenant of the old covenant and the, the new covenant of the. It's the and later on when he talks about it, he talks about the. I think it's even in Galatians he talks about it written on tablets of stone, which is the Ten Commandments. Well, it's, but it's 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 a reference to the law, and it's fading and vanishing. But, but it's a reference to the law, and, and Hebrew and, says abolished. Right, but but what. Obviously. Right, but but no, I'm and I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that. What are you but fearful seems of? Seems like you are. What do you mean fearful? <laughs> you just, what, what do you mean fearful? Like what do you mean fearful of? What the hell are you talking about? Fearful. It sounds like you. What do you mean fearful? No, 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 no. What do you mean fearful? I'm you got you got to explain that. Yeah, please. It's hot in here. It's getting hot. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting hot. What? You're, you are <laughs> getting yeah, hot. Yeah. What, what do you Welcome mean fearful? Hell, it sounds like you're concerned about something. Key, I just said I agree with him. Then why are you like? No, no. Why are you yelling and so no, hot? So for, first of all, first of all, whether, whatever personality issues I have is not a reference of fear. 
Okay. So, so I, I think then, then because because if it's if it's, if it's fear, you can just write off my argument. I didn't think. Uh, well, yeah, but if if it's based, if you have an idea, what that are you concerned about? Yeah, if you have sorry. an idea that it's based on fear, you can just write off my argument. I, I, no, and you now, said that it, three now times. it's not important. What are you concerned know, about? But, but you say that a lot, and and I. Well, I, I heard I, you the third I, time. I take a I take offense. I take offense to that. That's just uh, that so passive aggressive huh? rage. So to, to 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 you attributing things like fear. Like you could oh, have just said, I'm not afraid of anything, yeah, and then but, we move on. Oh, what are you concerned okay. about with Keith? No, We're I, 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 no, I agree. I agree that okay. that the the Old Testament law is it, it, it is fulfilled in Christ. Yes, it, but even in the Old Testament, where uh, as as Hebrews and uh, I believe Romans t- yeah. points out that it, it, it's justification by faith. So it's so it's not so. Yes, it is authoritative. In, in the Old Testament, um, that it does it doesn't uh, that what what is it not one jot or tittle uh, uh, passes away, but the fulfillment is in Christ. But if but if we so I guess it's a question of whether or not it it is authoritative, but not in in practice because or not well, I don't know about practice, but because of the fulfillment in Christ. That it's not, it doesn't apply in the same way that it applied back then. But if we get rid of it, if we get rid of its authoritative nature, then then we lose who Christ is. There's no foundation for Christ without without the Old Testament scriptures that that precede him. Yeah, that I, that's my point. I would agree with you if what you mean by that is that the Old Covenant scriptures. Um, point to Christ, and we need them to ve- to validate and verify that Christ is the fulfillment of those things. He was prophesied; he did fulfill these things. He, wa- you know, he was foretold. This is the, one of the one of the beautiful things about the Old Covenant Scriptures is that it's it, it as Brian Zahn says it in, inerrantly and infallibly points us to Jesus. And and so if that's what you mean, and and then that is the basis of the authority of the Old Covenant Scriptures that they point to Christ. Then I would agree with you to that point. Yeah, I I don't agree, and this is the point. This is the again the, the passage I just read in Galatians, and again I think there's many other places in the in the New Testament um, where I believe we are told that because Christ has fulfilled those old covenant scriptures, they are no longer um, in play for us. They they don't have authority over our lives that we are, that, that we are submitted to Christ is Lord, Jesus is Lord, not the not the we're not under the old covenant, under the law. Yes, it's great. It's beautiful. I'm glad we have it. There's so many ways that if we are abiding in Christ, that through the lens of Christ and knowing who Jesus is, we can now look back in the Old Testament scriptures and see beautiful things illumined through the lens and the light of Christ in the old covenant scriptures. And it was moving them on, on a trajectory yes. out of retributive violence. Yes. On a tra- tra- trajectory towards who God is in Christ. That's right. No, no, I now, what, absolutely okay, agree now, with there, there Right, where you could take the Sarah Silverman, go back to David. <laughs> no, go back to David and the kill and the killing yes. and and say are you okay? Look at that. Yeah. Are you yeah. okay? Right. Oh, so well, I don't know if you were going this way or not, but there's actually a beautiful picture of of Christ even in David when uh he's hiding in the cave. And Saul comes and relieves himself in the cave all by himself. And David, all of his guys are telling him, do it, kill him, kill him, kill him. This is your chance, kill him. And he's like, no, I won't touch the Lord's Mm -hmm. anointing. He shows mercy. And then after he leaves, then he lets him know, hey, by the way, 
I could have mm-hmm. done it. I could have killed you. I showed you mercy, right? So even in the old covenant scriptures, there's a picture of David who's a man of war with blood on his hands, and that's why he couldn't rebuild the temple and all that. Um, yet even then, he he had a moment where he was able to respond in a way that wasn't violent. Yeah, and I, Scott's I think, right. If we don't have those stories of the Old Testament, then we don't have that to look back. That's right. It's like our lives that are broken, and Christ steps in, and we accept yes. that, and then we move forward, and we can look back on the crap yeah, yeah. and realize what Christ has done. Yeah, please, please, please don't hear me saying, please. And then maybe this is what you're responding to. And if you are, I yes, apologize. definitely. I'm not saying... You know, only carry a New Testament in your pocket and forget the Old Covenant scriptures. I'm not saying throw them out, don't read them, don't look at them. No, dude, there's incredible stuff. My friend Steve Klein just did a thing where last year, every morning at 4 a.m., he woke up and read the Bible for an hour and posted a daily blog where he was reading through the Old Covenant scriptures and was showing how Christ was revealed in the Old Covenant. Oh my gosh, it was beautiful. Like, that's awesome. So I'm so glad we have those Old Covenant scriptures because, again, if you know Jesus and you really know him and he's really made this huge impact in your life, now you're going to be able to come back to them. And and again, the veil's removed and you can see something that, oh my gosh, you would never have seen that before. There he is. And we get the 30,000 foot view of God moving humanity and using a certain people group. To, to move to where we are now, and right? Then Which is a much better place future. to be to be under Christ, yeah. and mercy and grace, and yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it's just a it's just an ordering thing, like a, a hierarchy where there's you can look through Christ, or you can people do it all different ways. They look through right. the Bible. They look they they look at the Bible as all being the same. Yeah. Like when David sees God's nature as being vengeful to his enemies, that's the same as how Christ is. Right. Um, and people, you'd be surprised how people take the Bible. And so, and so, that's yeah, a whole you, new can of words. So, but that's what I'm, so what I'm trying to say is, to, to, uh, what I would want people listening to the podcast and maybe reading my book to understand is Get the book. that there are different ways and different perspectives to start from and to not ju- to be aware of the fact right. and to not just like, well, sometimes I take a flat Bible perspective and other times I take a Jesus center perspective. Like don't be all over the place, right? Uh, I figure out what, whatever it is, wh- how are you going to look at it and be consistent? Right. And then whatever, like I would, I would prefer, I would recommend you start from a Jesus center perspective. I think that's really what it's about. That's what I think Jesus wanted and, and the apostles wanted and I think that's what the New Testament's trying to get us to see and do is to start with Jesus and go back and see things through a Jesus lens and a Jesus perspective. But we, um, we, we've got, but understand well, there's perspectives and to take one or the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's it's a, it's truly a blessing that we have we know more about God's nature than some of the humans that wrote the Old yes. Testament scriptures do. That's a great which is a point. radical statement. Yes, that freaks people the <laughs> f out. That's but, right. But uh, you and I have more of it. Well, it doesn't even the scriptures even talk about that. I think doesn't Peter talk about it? How they they long to see. They looked forward, right? Um, or Hebrews talks about that, right? And uh, they they were looking forward to this, right? And we're now we're living it. We're living right. the reality they only dreamed about, right? Right. This the the whole idea of the new covenant is this radical thing where. God will write, I will put my words and my law in your heart. And no one will inquire of God of other people. Hey, tell me about God. Teach me. No, you'll all know me directly. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Like, this is the whole point of the new covenant that every one of us will know God intimately and directly. And I think this is what he's always wanted, right? We're the ones who keep putting stuff between us and God, right? Uh, we put, we, you know, the, the children of Israel tell Moses, 
it's too scary, God talking through this, you know, this cloud and fire. Why don't you just go up and talk to him and then tell us what he said? Yeah. Or, you know, all the other nations have a king. Why don't we have a king? I know God's our king, but come on, God, can we just have a king? Can we just have a king that would rule for yeah. us? And, and then, you know, you can just be over there, right? And, and so we're always doing this. We're always, right. I think we do this with the Bible. Adam and Eve, they, they yes. were the ones hiding from God. They hid from God, right. I used to read that, that God was hunting them when he's like, where are you? <laughs> right. Like, I'm going to find you. Yeah. I used to read that like God was on the hunt for Adam right. and Eve. And it's like, no, I had it totally backwards. Yeah. They, they were ashamed. It's a consistent, yep. the separation is of our own doing. That's right. A la the prodigal son. Yep. And uh, even the, the other son, who who knows? Maybe he never went to the party. We don't yeah. know. You know, we don't know if he ever walked in the party. He was right. so offended that how dare you? It wasn't you. the father separating him from either boys. No. The separation is all of our own doing, that's and that's right. that's the gosh, that's so beautiful to me. That yeah. I think it's just my opinion. I think that gets lost if we have a view of like God basically wrote the Bible, right? <laughs> but we have, in my opinion, we wrote Scott, the Bible. He, God let his kids tell the story. I love that. And they That's have right. their own context, their own cultural situations. It's all through those lens. They were, I read a Pete Enns blog recently where he said, they, it's not God's revelation more as much as it is they were interpreting God's revelation. Yes. Like, so that's, we're getting their interpretations. Oh, yeah. In, in my book, I, I include Chuck McKnight has this beautiful allegory about the invisible man and his shadow. And uh, it's I love it. I mean, it's one of those things. Chuck has done this a couple of times. So I'll read a blog post he wrote, and I'll just read it and go, oh, why didn't I write that? It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Darn it. Why didn't I think of that? So I put them on my books. I did that in Jesus Untangled. I did another one in, in Jesus Unbound where I just I put the whole chapter, I put it in that. Uh, but it's this beautiful allegory about how there's this invisible man, and it used to be that no one could see the man, but they could see his shadow on the ground. And so they would follow the shadow, but it was weird. For some people, the shadow was long and skinny. For some people, the shadow was fat uh, and wide. And sometimes, like, when the shadow went over something, things happened, and they would assume, well, the shadow must have done that. Well, that was the shadow did that, right? Because the shadow was over there. Um, but they weren't sure, but they wrote these things down. But then one day, the, the invisible man appeared. There he was. They could all see him. There he was. And some people said, oh, hallelujah, great. We can finally see this invisible man, and now we know who he is, and we know what he's like, and we know what he's doing. But other people were like, well, wait a minute. It doesn't match the shadow. The shadow's right there. Look at the shadow on the ground. Look. Yeah, and they're still looking at the shadow. Good. And they want the shadow to conform to the man instead of the man like, no, 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 that's my shadow. That is incomplete. Yeah. I'm here in person. Depending you, on your perspective related to the light hitting the yes. actual person, mm-hmm. you're going to see the shadow differently. Yes. And God, to that's me, so beautiful. that's a beautiful allegory, I believe, for what we see in Christ. Yeah. Jesus is the invisible man made visible. And now we can see, oh, that's what he's, this is what God is like. Oh, yeah, we were, we were uh, confused in the past. We, we thought this, we thought that, but oh, now that we, we can know about see. from the scriptures, Scott. Yes, Scott just went to pee and he's back. Uh, All right, so now the, I'm no, back. Sorry, baby. Scott. Sorry, Scott. Oh, now my plane just landed. Wow. All right, so let's let's that, get to your book. Uh, oh, real, now now we're gonna get to my book. Real quick, so on page one fifteen. Oh my gosh. So you said uh, some of Here what go. some of what we may currently accept as scripture. Yes. Might not actually be inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Some of the scriptures that we reject or are simply unaware of might actually be worthy uh, considering as a filter, uh, as a legitimate source of wisdom about God. But everything, and I do mean everything, needs to be filtered through the lens of Christ. And And then you say, if it lines up with our, if it lines up with our revelation of him, we should take it to heart. Mm hmm. If it disagrees with the word of God who became flesh, 
and came to dwell within us, we should dismiss it as being the flawed testimony of men. Yes. I, I say amen to that. You do? Fearfully, oh my gosh, I thought we were I thought we were about to jump it. into something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to ask how to Wow. How, okay, how, well that's how good. How would we know? Yeah. No, yeah, Whew, so that's so, good. <laughs> so yeah, and I and I Jeff, yes, you're very perceptive. Uh, so Oh, here we go. You're an easy book to read. Here we go. Yeah, so with um You're on my heart. So when it says <laughs> if it li- if it lines up with the, our revelation of him. Yeah. So which which I was is I'm assuming is the, the New Testament. Yes and no. Yes, and I, no. I think I I I think because um, part of what I'm getting to in the book, and it's hard to just only respond right. to one little paragraph right. or one little sentence because I got, there's way more around this. Um, absolutely, most of us have learned information about Jesus and who he was, and he was born, you know, in Bethlehem in a manger, and his, his mother was Mary, and. Uh, you know, all some of this stuff. We know information about Jesus from the Bible, yes, the New Testament, the Gospels, yes. But, uh, and this is again what I'm arguing for in this book, in Jesus Unbound, is that, um, yes, one of the primary ways we know information about Jesus is from the New Testament, but it's not the only way we know Christ. That I think there is a knowing of Christ that it is experiential, it is through the Holy Spirit, and it is... Um, it is the Spirit leading us into all truth. Now, uh, and I know that's scary and dangerous and weird for a lot of people. Like, what are you talking about? That sounds weird. But uh, I think, again, I think that is consistent with what we are called to do. I think that Scripture is, is, is intending to point us to a person, that we would inter- be introduced to Jesus, that we would then know, meet him and know him the same way I could know any of you guys. And then now I don't just know you because I read about you on the internet. I read about your blog, I read your blog, or I read a book you wrote, or whatever. I know you, right? I know you. I know you. We hang out together. We talk together. We. I get to know your voice. You pointed to, to me first. Your personality, right? <laughs> and so um, it's a relationship with a person. We talk about this all the time. They use this language all the time, right? It's a relationship. But but if we if we don't if our relationship was only with a book. I don't think that's the point. Like the Bible doesn't point to the Bible. The Bible points us to Christ and encourages us to know him and to know God in a way that's beyond just mere information, that it's transformation. It leads to a transformational experience. So, so that's what I'm meaning uh, ultimately is that it, isn't, it doesn't stop at the Bible. It doesn't stop at Scripture. So if I took all the Bibles away from the whole planet Earth and no Bible existed, no book of the Bible existed anywhere in the world. I always knew you wanted to do that. Yeah, people think so. <laughs> well, he wrote it in his but book. But if I did, but if I did do that, if somehow no physical Bible book existed in the world at all, I will not have touched the Word of God. The Word of God still exists and I still know Him and I still have a relationship with the Word of God because it isn't through a book. Right, it may have started God, that way. And the word of God can will, can make it itself known. Yes, it will of as, course as needed. Yes, Jesus is the good shepherd, and his sheep can hear his voice. He's fully capable of speaking to his sheep in a way that they can clearly understand who he is and what he means and what he's all about. And so, I'm glad we have a Bible. I'm not advocating getting rid of the Bible. I'm just saying that. And that's um, how some people hear his voice. Yes, yeah, but but you know the Bible the Bible is helpful in that sense. But it's not the end all be all. It's not the it's not the point. The Bible itself isn't pointing back to itself. The Bible is pointing us to a person and a relationship with God through Christ. That is so good. Scott 
Were you about to close this up? Because if you were, <laughs> go for it. Because we got to end this. We need nope. to wrap it up. No, no. Nope. You were just going to keep going. Keep going, I baby. Love it. What time is it? It's uh, nine thirty. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, okay. I mean, no offense, Keith, but you don't have a job. So. Oh, that's true. I have nowhere to be in the morning. <laughs> just kidding. That's true. No. I have, have a couple a of life. podcast interviews, but that's about, that's about it. <laughs> no, no. I and I I, I appreciate that. Uh, what? Um, no, no. Go ahead. Um, well, no. I, I mean, there 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 are. Uh, just things like one one of the things I hear there there is a quasi denigration of the of of the Bible, and I I just want to I I want it to be clear when people are there, yeah because it it you're you are doing right in pu- in putting Jesus as preeminent mm-hmm. in all things right so I absolutely agree with that and I. I think most people agree with that, and sure, they there there might be subconsciously they might <laughs> yeah they 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 might do that, but in in as a general rule of orthodoxy or whatever, right? Um, Jesus is preeminent, and the scripture informs us about Jesus. Yep. Uh, and where where we think we are hearing from the Holy Spirit on who Jesus is, we. We rely on scripture to check what it, what we think we are hearing, because if it disagrees with the mm-hmm. revelation, then we we need to say, well, you know, I I I am more likely to be wrong than the text that has been given by God to the church. And if it's the entire Bible, it's going to br- really broaden what you <laughs> right. are able to well, what do you disagree mean the with. Because the Bible isn't one voice, right? right. And, and well, like my my, my position is that, that the Bible isn't... When you were out, he made a he made a statement that I agree with, which is like... Man, you guys are going to continue this for if you <laughs> if, if you look at the Bible, Matt, Matt DiStefano says this way, he says, like, if you look at the Bible as it's one book, and it says, you know, Bible, author, God, you know... God is the author. He wrote this book. Yes, I agree. And that, and so, okay, that helps to know that that's the way you look at the Bible. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't look at that. I look at it. It's a it's a bunch of little books, right? For us, it's sixty six books that we wrote. People wrote. Like we we shared uh, our. So I so I think Moses. Well, I agree with that too. <laughs> yeah, Moses tells us this is what I think God is like, and then uh, then Isaiah says, well, I I my experience with God is like this. And then Hosea says, well, you know, my, the way, this is the way I've experienced God. And then David says, well, I know God this way, and I've experienced God this way, and on and on and on. And so, uh, and I think there are different people who had different, real, legitimate, actual, I believe they really did, have a, an actual encounter with the living God, the creator of the universe. Uh, and they're doing the best they can to explain to us how they understand the God they've experienced. But... Uh, you, if you do then look at the scriptures this way, um, you'll notice there's a couple of places where Moses will say something that Isaiah doesn't quite agree with, or Hosea will flat out say, well, no, it's not that, it's this. Or David will say, well, no, it's not that, it's the other thing. And so it is a conversation. And I think actually, if you look at Jewish, a lot of Orthodox Jewish uh, rabbis and stuff, when they look at the Old Covenant scriptures, this is the way they look at it. They look at it as, it's this is a conversation by a bunch of different people who have various experiences and ideas of God, and it's all valuable. Like, it's not it's not like, well, who's right and who's wrong? No. It's valuable to hear Moses' experience. It's valuable to hear Isaiah's experience and Jeremiah and all these different people. 
uh, and to take it all in. But then after we have then taken it all in, then we can have a conversation about, okay, what did you think about that? Or what did you think about this? So it's, it's, so, so in other words, for me, for me, the Bible is a conversation and there is a whole ton of mystery involved in the character of God. And I think the only way we get clear pictures when there is mystery, uh, our best hope of having uh, a clear picture when there's mystery about God is to, is to look at Jesus. And that I think Jesus is the absolute best picture we could ever have of what God is like. So specifically the, the passage, the thing you just read from my book, like what I'm referring to in that, in that sentence, uh, in, the, in those paragraphs you read from my book, I'm referring to like when in the old Testament, when it says that God commanded his people, take your sword. And I want you to go across the river to those people that live over there. And I want you to kill every, every man and every woman and all their children, toddlers too. Don't you show mercy. You better not. If there's a pregnant woman, I want you to slit her belly open and kill her, kill her, her baby. And then after you've killed the entire family and every human being and, and children too, and, I'm, and he's, there's a warning, don't show mercy to their children, kill their children too. Then I want you to go out in the backyard and kill the cows, goats, chickens, pigs, horses, dogs, donkeys, everything. Slaughter everything. And I would say that's not the Abba that Jesus tells me about. That's, I don't hear Jesus telling his followers to go and slaughter in a massive genocide with people. The flood? So I, I, I think those, that's a great example. I don't think the flood, uh, first of all, is, a, um, is meant to be a, a telling me about an historical event. I think it's. I think it is a. Uh, it's a parable. It's a story. I think uh, Job is, is another example. Jonah is another example. That these are parables. They are stories that are meant to teach a lesson about something. So uh, God didn't. That God, not not to be taken in a literal sense. So because there's many cultures. God didn't with, wipe out sinful man and preserve only eight people. No, I don't think so. I think actually, if you look at. Uh, you can go back and look at stories and, and, and many other cultures had flood stories. Like flood well, I, stories are I, probably I the most common. A proof. Yeah. I think that's a proof for their validity. But right. You know, I think there, but there probably was an event. Yeah, I think there probably was. But, but was it a worldwide flood? Was it a, just a, a huge flood that affected you know uh, a certain region of people? And was it God that did it, right? And so I, I think the difference... Reiterated in the New Testament. Yeah, the difference that I see, but, but when it's reiterated, again, the, the reiteration in itself, I would say, isn't proof that it was a historical uh, event, that it's, again, that it's, it's referencing back a story that everyone's familiar with and using that familiar story everyone knows to, to like make a point. Like the Messiah. Like to the make, Messiah is... A story referenced in the Old Testament, and they're just going to reference But it's fulfilled it in reality in Christ. Why, well, but why would we? So, so there's. And so this is where we. Yeah, now we're getting right, into the right, weeds I know, here. I know, but like, I know, but but uh, but I mean, it goes along those those lines, though. It's a it's it's something that they attributed to God, but you know, not God didn't really do it. They're gonna and they they repeat it in the in the in the New Testament. The apostles who who Jesus gave authority to teach. Uh, who Jesus was and the gospel. These are the people he, who he gave authority to 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 establish the church. Um, so, but the, I don't those, think they reference Noah, though. The, I think those, Jesus references Noah in Matthew twenty-four. But like in that's the days an, of Noah, that, sure. But that's so an apocalyptic. I, I, I might agree. I might yeah. agree with you there a little bit. 
but but it's referenced other parts in in the in the New Testament by faith. I think the Hebrews Hebrews eleven passage Hebrews by faith Noah it, yes, built yes. the ark. So if 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 it's if it's just a something that oh it's stories that they were familiar with. Well, the Messiah story is the ultimate story that they were familiar with. Um, so they're just they're just repeating that along the same lines as Noah it didn't really happen. I I I see. So Zach, if you want to talk about fearful, yeah. I have a fear that that leads down the path of, well, it's understandable. Jesus doesn't sure. ha- just Jesus doesn't have to be the Messiah. We just believe in him because it's a good story. Of, and right. it's, and, and it's I wouldn't a agree with that. Story. I wouldn't agree with anyone who said that because I think that uh, the, there are messianic prophecies that are only applicable to Jesus. They are only fulfilled in Christ. Like all these Isaiah passages and all these well, pictures. So, and, 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 all right, all right, we go. Oh, no, no, let me, can I, just real quick. Yeah. So you talked about um, the how, how they wrote what they thought God was doing, right? The, the Old Testament Yeah, writers. and I think they did yeah, have an experience of, a genuine it, experience yeah. with God, which, but what they filtered through their best understanding of who God was. when it comes to prophecy, though, when it comes to prophecy, telling the future, do you think that... There's a shift then, because only God can tell the future, mm-hmm. I think. is Sure. You know, well, of course, you have to rely on Scripture to yep. get to that point. Yep. But, and I um, do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, w- do you think that when it comes to the prophetic verses, which are intertwined into some of the historical aspects, right. like in, in, in Genesis and, and other parts. Or even Psalms 22 and things right. like that, where honestly right. there's passages that I don't even think the guy... Like David, I don't think David had any clue that what he was writing was a prophetic picture of the Messiah. It, he just either, wrote something. Yeah. Again, he was inspired right. by the but, Holy Spirit. He wrote something that so later on they change, said this but, was about Jesus. But does that, so when we talk about uh, just being inspired by God based upon the events that are happening, yeah. I think that scripture is is that is that kind of that proof or that what tells us that it's more than just being inspired by an event where it talks about people being moved along by the Holy Spirit, that no prophecy of Scripture comes about by man's mm-hmm. own interpretation, but they're, but they're moved along by God. And that's profitable for rebuke, and uh, I think that's the Timothy 316 yep, yep, passage. Yep, yep, yep. So for me, prophecy, and, and that goes for Christianity as a whole, prophecy, telling the future before it happens, I mean that's one of the major proofs of, of the Christian faith, right? Absolutely, um, and establishes as yep. scripture uh, above all the other world religions. And I'd say almost all of it, though, is pointing to Jesus and was fulfilled uh, sure, in absolutely. Christ, yeah, and in things that he he prophesied also in Matthew twenty four uh, and the Olivet Discourse, which all happened exactly the way he said were going to happen. So, uh, absolutely, when it comes to prophetic things about uh, Christ or things that Christ himself prophesied. Absolutely. Like, I agree with those things. But going back to my other example, like, I just personally, I can't hear Jesus uh, saying, commanding his people to go and slaughter whole families and pregnant women and toddlers. I don't hear Jesus uh, telling people that want to come to the tabernacle and later to the temple, um, all those people that are sick and are mentally ill or who are uh, mentally retarded, or have a club foot, or whatever. Like, nope, they're not allowed to come in. Keep them far away. I don't want them coming in. Don't let them come anywhere near, uh, you know, the Holy of Holies. Like, I don't hear Jesus doing that. I see Jesus showing compassion on people that uh, are, are... What about to depart from you know, me for I never knew you? 
that's yeah, that's great. I love that, and I think, but I think there's way more going on sh- in sure, that passage. Scott, we got sure, I'm, I'm a serious I'm some Scott. simple thing. I'm trying you know? to make it brief. Do does yeah. God know us? And, and then there's, there's Keith, a whole thing. Final statement to this, <laughs> and then tell tell people where we can find you. What you know, how we can connect with you, uh, your credentials. Sure, and all sure. That. Oh, pff, my credentials. Yeah, that's that's a short one. Uh, no, well, so anyway, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate this the conversation. This has been great. And uh, anytime you guys want to do it again, we'll do it again. Um, so yeah, um, I blog at Patheos. Uh, my blog is my name, KeithGiles.com. Uh, I have a podcast I do with a couple other guys, Jamal and Matt, called Heretic Happy Hour Podcast. It comes out every other week. And um, it's on iTunes and Podbean and all that stuff. Um, have a new book, Jesus Unbound, coming out July 4th. Uh, it's Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. Um, I honestly, here's the thing. I know it sounds so controversial and I know even what we were talking about now seems like so radical and weird, but, but I don't think it's as weird as, as it's coming across. Like, I think honestly, if people read the book from beginning to end, uh, I think they'll actually see that a lot of what I'm saying makes a way more sense and is not as controversial or out there as, as it may sound maybe from this conversation. So anyway, I just encourage people to at least give it a shot. Uh, and consider some of the things that I'm talking about because it's I'm not I didn't invent this this like this thing with anabaptism yeah. I didn't invent this like uh, I've, I've discovered it and then I've found out as I've done some research oh people have thought this for a long time so anyway awesome thank you so much thank, thank you, you thank you guys yeah thanks for coming out hey we'll <laughs> continue this What do you mean fearful of? What the hell are you talking about? Fearful. It sounds like. You, what do you mean fearful? No, 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 no. What do you mean fearful? You got, you got to explain that. Yeah, please.